Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to NHL on the Ice. I am Brian Yates. I apologize for the uh, mishap there at the beginning of the show, but uh, we had a, a little uh, problems here. But we are up and running. I am Brian Yates. <laughs> Joining me, Alan Zarzinski. Alan. Hey, I have no idea what happened there. I have no idea either, but we're up and running, and we apologize for the uh, four minutes of silence. But uh, we here, we are up and running, and uh, how you doing, bud? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. Listen, uh, it's a great show we got lined up tonight. Uh, have you told everybody who's coming on yet? Uh, no, I, I apparently I wasn't but, but, being uh, but, but, uh, but heard on the show either. So uh, yeah, it's yeah, great. we've crazy. got. 
we're going to find new technology, and uh, we're going to take <laughs> advantage of it. Uh, I'm telling you right now, um, Blog Talk Radio is slipping, and uh, I hope they can hear me. I want to play something for you, man, because um, I feel well, like... Hold on, before, you, you, before you play anything, hold on, hold on. Um, well, let me, uh, well, I'm Brian Yates, you're Alan Zaldrzinski, the fans, speakradio.com. Also, you can hear us on the Ascriber Digital Magazine radio network as well later on tonight at 10 o'clock tonight. But uh, coming up, we, we got a big show, first of all. Shane Malloy, Cherish uh, XM Prospect Radio. Uh, he is co-host with Russ Cohen, uh, who is a friend of the show. Shane will be joining us live from Vancouver, uh, giving us a report from the CHL Prospects game that is going on tonight at 8 o'clock. Shane will join us at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time here. Uh, Shane is also the author of uh, The Art of Scouting as well, so we'll have Shane on here in just a little bit. And also, I'm excited for this guest. Um, I've heard this gentleman call Red Wings games for many, many years here. He has called some big-time goals, some big-time events here in Detroit. He is the play-by-play man here for Detroit for the Detroit Red Wings. He is Ken Cal. I'm excited to have Ken Cal on the show tonight. So uh, we've got a big show lineup, and of course, it's the All-Star break, and we'll dive into everything and all the headli- NHL headlines that is going around in the NHL. All right, bud, what do you got for me? Well, you know, I, I, I've been. It's been a rough couple of months, you know. Uh, and you and I, we, we've seemingly over the last four years been through thick and thin. And, and uh, I wanted to play you, uh, and it's a shame that you don't live here, because as I've told you a thousand times before, um, if you were here, we would dominate this market in sports talk radio. There's just no question in my mind that we do, that we would. Well, starting February 6th, I'm proud to say that I get an opportunity to go back on the airways for uh, CBS here, the local CBS affiliate, 1560, the fan here for two hours on Saturdays from um, 10 to 12. And it's going to be a lot of fun because unlike the last station that I was at, um, it's a whole heck of a lot cheaper. <laughs> and uh, it, it is a real radio station, in, and not that WMEMO wasn't because it was, but what I mean by that is it's a radio station dedicated to all sports. So, what they did for me blew my mind uh, because Mark Moses, who has been on a couple of, of the shows that I've done, went out and did this for me. And I, and I wanted you to be the first person to hear it because everything that you've done to help me get to this point, I'm very appreciative of. And uh, so I wanted you to hear this, uh, and you're the first person to hear it besides me. So check this out then. It's now time to talk sports. Live from the Melbourne Fan Studios, this is Space Coast Sports Talk on Sports Radio 1560 The Fan. You can be part of the conversation at 321-984-1234. Now, here's your host, Alan Slaughter-Zinski. That is, um, that just, I mean, makes me want to cry. So, buddy... (laughs) You know, it is um, it is well within our reach because you and I are uh, we're a team, and we just got to figure out a way we can do this together. Well, I I can't be more more happier 
for you. That you know, I I'm excited for yeah, you and really. in, in your new start at uh, in the you know for Mark to give you uh, get you back on the radio there in uh, in, in a larger market, uh, per, in no doubt. So good for you, man. I that's exciting, and I love the intro and I love the theme for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be fun, and of course February the sixth, you're going to be calling in because I can't have this first show uh, without you at some point in the show. So you'll need to call in from Las Vegas. But, uh, buddy, you know, (laughs) it's really one of the first things that's happened. um, You know, because it's been a rough patch here. And it's really one of the first things that's happened over the last couple of months that's really been a positive uh, for me. And uh, you've been there for me every step of the way. And I appreciate it. And hearing something like that, man, it it makes you realize that – You've got some good friends out there, and this industry isn't as cutthroat as everybody says it is because when you can hang your hat on guys like Brian Yates and Mark Moses, you're doing okay. I I don't know what to say. I'm just a guy who does a uh, hockey podcast. Well, you're just a guy that got me into all this crap, so that's what you can say. (laughs) Well, I, I'm glad for you. I, I'm I'm really happy for you, and uh, you know, I really wish I could be in Florida with you to do this, but uh, uh, I'm here in freezing Michigan. So, <laughs> but it's supposed to be 50 here this Saturday, so uh, that's some good stuff. At least it's it's going to be 50. <laughs> you know what? It's uh, miserable here tonight. Absolutely miserable. And the top uh, you know what? Off, I don't want to hear it. I. Well, I'm going to tell you it's about it's about 70 degrees, and it's raining. It's been raining. We've probably got about five inches of rain in the last two days. That would equate to 50 inches of snow. Um, I'll tell you that uh, the other thing that uh, I've got going on here tonight is uh, my beautiful wife, Gina, is a uh, a jewelry lady, and she's got a jewelry show here tonight. So I am actually now, all the background noise you heard, were a bunch of cackling ladies getting ready to talk about <laughs> jewelry. And uh, so I am on the back porch, uh, which is not foreign territory for me uh, in this household anyway. And um, as you remember, Brian, I slept out here one night when you were here. Uh, So I will eliminate the background noise of the ladies cackling. So we can talk hockey, man. I'm pissed because I'm pissed at the NHL, Brian. I am pissed at the National Hockey League for having not issued us the credentials they should have issued us right from the get-go for this NHL All-Star game. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm a little butthurt that we're not in Nashville. I, I see everyone posting pictures and flying out you today. Got screwed. And yeah, I was, I was a little jealous of it all. I was a little jealous, I'll be honest. But you know what? Maybe we'll it was be a good thing because I, I ended up going to Vegas next weekend, so... Yeah, you know what? And here's the other thing too. Here's the other thing. Uh, it's all it, anyway. It's all straightened out. Everything is good now. Um, you know, and we'll be at the draft in Buffalo. Um, uh, basically, you know, the the uh, Nicole Buckley does a fantastic job, and she handles so many requests for credentials and things of that nature. And the National Hockey League has always treated you and I. Kindly, and I'm joking around when I say we got screwed. This was an oversight, and it didn't get corrected right away, and that's okay. Um, test out this three-on-three format for us and get back to us. Well, before we dive into the All-Star game, I, I, I want to hit the top NHL topic 
the uh, the hot news on the NHL headlines here tonight. Yep. Uh, let, let me uh, let me play this. Sorry. Yeah. Salomaki, and then he is banged up. He's going to try and make his way to the bench. And there's the collision with Don Henderson. He doesn't even see the linesman. I think Peter Laviolette is calling for a call. He's talking to the linesman right now. That is the uh, announcers talking about the Dennis Wyman hit on a linesman, uh, Don Henderson. And I have it in a loop here in front of me. And uh, the initial hit on Wyman, first of all, in the corner, I think kind of knocked him a little screwy. And I think he was just trying to get to the bench. And, uh, unfortunately, the ref was skating back into him. And, you know, I, I give Weidman all the credit until he gets to the lineman and extends his arm forward and shoves the lineman down forward. And I don't know if he was not in his right mind, concussed, or what. But uh, it's uh, it's pretty serious. Well, it's a 40-game suspension is what it is, Brian. Uh, I believe is what uh, the, the penalty for this could could potentially – is it 40 games? 20. 20. 20 games is what the penalty could potentially be for Dennis Weidman and what he did. And I, I have it here as well, watching it. And, um, you know – Dennis Wiseman is not one of these characters that is known for this type of stuff. You know, we're not talking about, you know, some of the jackasses that we've seen in the National Hockey League over the last couple of years. And I think you take a look at Dennis Wiseman immediately afterwards and he's sitting on the bench. He doesn't have all his faculties about him. He just doesn't. His head went first into the boards. And, look, Wiseman is not exactly the toughest guy on the ice. But, uh, yeah, he, he definitely takes a shot at the referee. I will say this. I cannot imagine that Dennis Weidman, he, he's foggy. Um, no way, no how does an NHL player, especially a guy like Dennis Weidman, who's a pretty good dude, um, and I know this because he spent some time with the Washington Capitals, uh, no way, no how does a guy like Dennis Weidman do this. He's going to have to plead his case. He's going to pick up a suspension and a, and a lofty fine because he just simply can't do it. But this is a touchy subject for the National Hockey League because this is coming off of an obvious hit where it involved the head, and Weidman's obviously going to plead that case that he was foggy. He certainly has a case to make for it. But he cross-checked, he cross-checked the official in the back, Brian. I mean, he did. He picked his hands up, and he cross-checked the official in the back. He hit him. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how this plays out. Uh, I think that uh, it's important to get the official involved in this, to talk to the official and see how he feels about it. But I think ultimately, in the end, maybe not 20 games, but I think Dennis Wyman's probably going to pick up a 10-game suspension out of this and a hefty fine. So apparently after the play and after everything happened, Dennis Wyman ended up going up to – linesman Don Henderson in apologizing to him. But, I mean, the only thing, the only o- only way I give him leeway, and look, one, he, he, he needs to get suspended. He does. <laughs> Two, 
the, the length of the suspension is, is in question. And Colin Campbell needs to take his time and really take a look at everything. But and, and get Don Henderson's thoughts on it as well. But the only way I give him any leeway, Alan, is if he was concussed heading to the bench. That is the only way I give him leeway. If he if, now, it, if but, it comes out that he was not concussed, then 20 games. Well, look, here's the thing, though. I mean, that's a fine line, okay, because you can take a hit to the head and for two or three minutes after it uh, be foggy. You can. You know it. I know it. Um, and not be concussed. So the if he's not concussed, the National Hockey League is going to have to obviously look at Dennis Weidman's track record, and there is none. Um, and take a look at, you know, what type of guy Dennis Weidman is, a good guy. What is his what is his reputation in the league? A decent one. Weidman's soft. He's known as a he's known as a uh an offensive mm-hmm. defenseman, power play oriented type of guy at the blue line. Um so you know, he's not exactly an agitator out there on the ice. Uh it's gonna be interesting, but just for the sheer fact that he he did what he did uh, if the National Hockey League finds out that they believe it was intentional, then it'll be 20 games. But I think um, it'll be 10. It might. It, uh, here's the scenario I could see playing out. I could see a 12 to 15 game suspension here with an appeal down to 10, possibly eight or six. I, I can see that happening, but they have to. They have to. You know, and if I'm the Calgary Flames, I'm trying to do everything I can to show and prove that, hey, look, Dennis Weidman was concussed after the hit he took, and he was I not I find three right doctors mind. right now that say it. I pay, right. I pay whatever right. I got to pay out of pocket. <laughs> but, I mean, you could tell after the hit in the corner, he was not in his right mind. And he no. was stumbling as he was getting up. He managed to get to his feet. And I don't know if, if it was blurred vision or what, but he saw somebody coming at him. And he stuck his arms out and cross-check him. He, you know what? He may not even known it was the referee. And if and look, it took place by the bench, so Weidman could have thought there was a line change going on. And we have to ask yourself this too: what is what would be his motive to have done this to this? It, this guy's not wearing an orange band, okay? So it's not like that there wasn't. It's not like this official did or didn't make a call, okay? Um, there's four officials on the ice, two of them with the orange armbands. So what would be Dennis Weidman's motive to have done this to the official? There isn't one, Brian. Not to this particular official. Maybe if he had done it to the guy that was wearing the orange bands closest to the play and didn't get the call, that's one thing. Uh, then maybe you could make a case. But there's no reason in the world, there's no motive for Weidman to have done this to this particular official. So I, I think there are a lot of factors that play positively into Dennis Weidman's uh, favor, but whether you consider 10, 12, 15 game suspension, uh, a positive uh, weight in your favor is an entirely different scenario. Um, We'll see what happens. I doubt it'll be 20. It needs to at least be 10. Yeah, it's a crazy situation that happened, and like I said, Colin Campbell needs to take his time on this. You know, you got till February 1st, you know, till the season, the season starts up again. So take your time, investigate everything that is going on in this, 
and make it thorough. You know, make sure you don't. Do hey, you think the decision has to tomorrow? Do you think the decision has to be made before these guys hit the ice on February first? I do. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You got a week to do it. So, uh, like I said, I, if it comes out that he was foggy and he was concussed, I'd give him ten games, uh, and I'll probably get appealed. But if I find out that look, he did it on purpose, it was all intentional. Uh, you got to give him 20 games because you got to set a precedent in the NHL that this is, cannot be allowed. Even if it's an accident, I don't think it should be allowed. You know, I, I, I think you have to have a stiff penalty in this because you have to make, make it known to the NHL players that, look, this will not be tolerated. I don't care if it was an accident or not. This stuff cannot happen in the NHL. Yeah, you cannot no, have any right. players. He broke the rules. Officials. He broke the rules, and that's putting your hands on an official. Can you hear me? Okay. Yep. Well, and you, you know, I don't. You're right. I don't care if it was official. I mean, if it was, you know, what the situation was. Uh, look, if you walk out of a store without paying for something because you forgot, you still stole it, right? Mhm. So, I mean, you can try to plead your case to the police or to the store manager or what have you, but the bottom line is is, is what that police officer is going to do when he shows up if the if the manager chooses to go in that direction is he's going to take your driver's license, he's going to call in, he's going to see what your record is, he's going to see what type of pass you have. Uh, again, there are things that weigh favorably. So, uh, it, it is what it is. He put his hands on him. Uh, he, he cross-checked him in the back, and that had to be dealt with. Because if he, if the National Hockey League doesn't deal with this, Brian, in in a harsh manner and harsh for an unintentional cross-check to an official's back, in my opinion, it's at least ten games. If they don't, then with all of the hard hits that take place in this league, uh, that just simply opens the door for a precedent the National Hockey League can't afford. If you feel like weighing in on this, uh, you can find us on Twitter as well. Uh, you can find us at, at Zlot Sports with a Z, at NHL on underscore the underscore ice. It's also posted on our Facebook page, uh, NHL on the Ice podcast. Uh, and uh, our, our chat room's open anytime during the show. So feel free uh, to log in and comment on it. Check us out on, on Facebook and comment on it. Or you can check us out on Twitter and comment on it as well. And, of course, our phone line is open during the show as well. Uh, a couple of responses here on on, Twi- uh, on our Facebook page. Uh, Patricia Ann said, as it should be, that Weidman's susp- – of course, it come out that Weidman's suspended definitely for the hit on the linesman. Uh, like I said, Patricia Ann said, as it should be, uh, Big Ben Preds, uh, he said, I wish the indefinite tag is just to keep him in holding till after the All-Star, suspend him for the rest of the season. Do you think? No. No? That's too much. Kerry uh, Frazier. Kerry Frazier, former uh, linesman, uh, a referee in the NHL, um, he came out with a article about what had happened. Uh, he said, I had to take a deep breath to avoid overreacting as he watched Dennis Whiteman run over uh, his friend and former colleague Don Henderson from behind. When I saw the finishing push of Whiteman's hand, hands high on the back of the linesman, my first reaction was, you SOB, you did that on purpose. But after giving a closer look, given the stutter step executed by Whiteman at the last second prior to impact, 
I have to believe that the Calgary defenseman really didn't see the linesman until a collision was imminent and did not strike Henderson with the intent to injure. If that was the case, an automatic suspension of at least 20 games would be imposed. Given the finishing push, I don't believe that Weidman should be given a pass either. If Weidman is found guilty of deliberately applying physical force in any manner against Henderson without intent to injure, the Calgary player could be subject to suspension or not less than 10 games under Rule 40.3, physical abuse of an official. So even Kerry Frazier has come out in kind of defense, but kind of saying, hey, look, I'm trying to look at both sides of it. You know, I'm I'm trying not to overreact about it. Yeah, you know, look, uh, that's good enough for me. Gary Fisher, or, you know, he feels that way, that's good enough for me. He was one of the best referees in the National Hockey League in the history of this game, Kerry Frazier. So if that's what Kerry Frazier says, I'm okay with that. Uh, and, again, not less than 10 games, I think that's where we'll end up. But, again, you know, the question is, is why why would – why would uh, uh, I would ask Weidman why he didn't bear hug the defenseless linesman to minimize the contract? Why didn't he de- decelerate the, his forward motion in any way to reduce impact? Finally, I would ask him why did it feel necessary to extend his arms and finish the contact with a strong push on the back of the linesman? So, you know, all those, like I said, I you got to think that he was in a fog and he was hurt or he was, you know, not in his right mind when it happened. So uh, that's the only defense I can, I, I can say for him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, and that's going to be the only defense <laughs> for him, to be honest with you. Uh, There's it, not going to be anything else but that. And the Flames are probably, have already probably spoken to three doctors that will confirm that lie. <laughs> Uh, Alan, I, I want you to – did you happen to see last night's game? Did I happen to see last night's game? No, I didn't see any uh, uh, anything last night. All right. Uh, well, your Capitals were playing last night, and this happened. Or Jeff battling with Kuznetsov. Giroux, the third flyer. Now Voracek turns, shoots, and scores! Jake Voracek with the overtime winner for the Philadelphia Flyers, 38 seconds in, ending the Capitals' home win streak at 12 games. Washington erased a 2 nothing and 3-2 deficit, but Jacob Voracek scored 38 seconds in overtime to help the Flyers end a three-game skid and snap the Capitals' home winning streak at 12 games. At 21-18 and 8, the Flyers moved within five points of the Idle Penguins for the final wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. The Flyers earned their eighth overtime victory of the season, tied for the first in the NHL with the Flames and the Blackhawks. Alan, you know, the, uh, as I go and get uh, Shane Malloy, uh, I just want you to, you know, a, a real quick summary of uh, I, we've talked about your Capitals a lot here in the in, in the first half of the season, and rightfully so because this team is is rolling right along here. But uh, uh, you know, a real quick uh, synopsis of your team over the first half. Well, they're the best team in the National Hockey League, hands down. And you know, look, they lead the entire league 
10 points better than the Chicago Blackhawks heading into the All-Star break. And for those of you out there that think that this is the same old Washington Capitals, that this Washington Capitals team will be no different than any other Washington Capitals team that's ever done this during the regular season. And by the way, the Capitals have never, ever been this good at this point of the season. Um, You're wrong. This is a Washington Capitals team that clearly, uh, in my opinion, uh, is the best team in the Eastern Conference. It's a team that goes four lines deep. You look at their leading scorer is Evgeny Kuznetsov, who, by the way, was named to the All-Star game. 49 points for the youngster here. Kuznetsov, 15 goals, 34 assists, 49 points at the All-Star break here in uh, 47 games. Kuznetsov on pace to get just under 100 points this season. And then you look at the uh, the thing that the Washington Capitals have been missing for so many years, and they've had spurts where they've had, they had Mike Ribeiro in for a little bit. Uh, Ribeiro was okay, not nearly as good as the playmaker as Kuznetsov is. But the one thing that the Washington Capitals have not had over this Alex Ovechkin era is legitimate number two center. And that is what Kuznetsov is. Uh, in fact, Kuznetsov would be a number one center on a lot of teams in the national, most teams in the National Hockey League. Why? Because there's Nick Backstrom, who's second on this team in points. In 44 games played this year, Backstrom with 45 points. And, of course, the great eight doing what he does so well, putting the puck in the net, 28 goals here as we get to Nashville. 28 goals, 14 points, 42 uh, uh total points. And then you look at the acquisitions that the Washington Capitals made to get them over the hump. That hump being a game seven in the playoffs against the team like the New York Rangers. And all they do is go out and get Mr. Game Seven, Justin Williams. And how has he fared so far this year for the Washington Capitals? Well, he's their fourth leading scorer on a hockey team this year. He's got 33 points. Williams is chipped in with 16 and 17, respectively. And what about uh, T.J. Oshie, sixth on the team? Uh, And then you squeeze Marcus Johansson in there. Uh, And then you have to get play from guys that um, you don't really – in order for something like this to uh, come to fruition, you have to get career years from guys that don't normally – you wouldn't normally expect uh, something like that from. Well, you don't need to look any further than a guy like a Jason Chimera. Uh, Chimera, bill number 25. He averages about 14 minutes of ice time a game in 47 games this year. Chimera already with 13 goals uh, on the season and 14 assists, 27 points for Chimera. But this hockey team, uh, the one thing that it's really lacked besides a legitimate number two center is a franchise goaltender between the pipes. And, boy, they certainly have that in Braden Holpe. And I would make the case and even argue that so far this season, Braden Holpe has been better in the net than Carey Price was at this time last year. In 39 games, Braden Holpe is 35-3. 30 wins, 5 losses, and 3 uh, OT uh, in the OT column there. 2.07 goals against with a 9.29 save percentage. Two shutouts on the season. Philip Grabauer, uh, the guy that comes in and uh, spells Holpe when he needs a break in 11 games. Grabauer is 5-3-1. So what the Capitals uh, have that they haven't had 
the Alex Ovechkin era as a legitimate number two center and a franchise goalie. Now, I'm not going to say that's all that this team has missed, but it certainly is a big reason why they have failed to advance beyond critical game sevens. This is a team that's four lines deep, and that's obvious when they go out and take a no-risk deal and giving a guy like Richards a million bucks to bring him in. This is a team that I still expect. Uh, a lot of people say we had on um, a guest last week from the district sports page, and what he told us, the editor-in-chief of the district sports page, and what he told us was that the Washington Capitals don't have to make a splash at the trade deadline, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. The rumor mill has guys like Dustin Bufflin out there, and if you go out and had a guy like Dustin Bufflin, a guy that's won a Stanley Cup, a guy that knows how to get really, really dirty in the really, really critical times of important playoff games, then I think you have to pencil the Washington Capitals in from the Eastern Conference. Like I said, they're 10 points better than anybody else right now heading into the All-Star break, and that's okay with me, Brian. Well, Alan, are you ready for a guest? I'm ready. He is the co-host of the Hockey Prospects Radio Show on Sirius XM Radio. Uh, he is the author of The Art of Scouting, and he's also at the CHL Prospect Team in Vancouver. He is Shane Maloney. Shane, good evening. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great tonight. Good, good. Glad you could join us live from Vancouver. I'm glad uh, you were able to give us a call and talk some uh, prospects with us. Absolutely, anytime. Uh, it's uh, always a fun event at the top prospects game, and it's a great opportunity for the hockey fans who don't get to you know, watch a lot of CHL or get a chance to see these top prospects play on a, on a regular basis to sort of get a snapshot of what they're looking forward to for the upcoming draft. And it's this is a pretty good crop at this top prospects game, and there's a lot of players to like. Well, let, let's dive right into it. Uh, the the top prospect there that is at, in the CHL prospect game, uh, in your opinion, is it Matthew Kachuk? Oh, yeah. At this game, it's Matthew Kachuk. He's, I think he's the best player at this event. You know, he he has almost every tool that you want. You know, he's got he's got toughness. He's got hockey sense, puck skills. You know, he plays a smart, responsible game for for a young player, and he's clutch. Uh, you know, he's played tremendous for London this year. You know, 70 points in 37 games was just, you know, impressive. Considering that, you know, it's not an offensive league in terms of you're gonna you're gonna see guys put up two points a game on average. So it shows you how dominant he's been this year. Uh, Shane Alan Slaughterzinski here. Good to talk to you again. Uh, Shane, the thing that strikes me as strange when I look at the NHL's midseason rankings is the top three Americans on the board. These guys, they don't hail from someplace in New Hampshire or Maine or upstate New York. No, Scottsdale, Arizona, and Boca Raton, Florida. What does that say for the state of the game of hockey in the United States? It's tremendous. And you can thank uh, guys like Wayne Gretzky. And the NHL moving into those types of types of locations, there's no chance that you know players are coming out of Scottsdale or coming out of Florida or coming out of Texas. If it wasn't for the NHL moving down there, and then the NHL teams that are located there embracing minor hockey and helping that those organizations build ranks and provide camps and 
and be able to provide equipment and startup camps for all these young players, it doesn't happen without that. So I think it's the best thing that's happened to hockey in a long time. You know, you know, although I'm Canadian, although I'm Canadian, um, I want the American game to flourish because it's better for the game overall. I know a lot of people up in Canada are a little nervous about how, how good some American players are getting, and I don't have a problem with that because I think competition breeds better players. And, and just a quick follow-up to that, and I know, look, Gary Bettman took a lot of hits in terms of moving a lot of these teams and putting expansion teams, uh, Shane, in the South. But uh, producing players like this from uh, places where palm trees sprout, does it validate a lot of ways Bettman's continued attempts to keep the game in the South? It's true. It matters because if you want to make it a, a sport that spreads all across North America, you have to have teams in these locations. Now, granted, you know, Florida's rink is not in the best location. If it was downtown Miami, it would make a huge difference because I don't know if you've been out to the rink, it's the middle of nowhere. And if you walk yeah. five or six more blocks, you're in, you're in the Everglades. You're not going to be eaten by an alligator. So that doesn't really help. <laughs> but I like the fact that they're, they've been hanging on. Um, you know, obviously the rink in Arizona is not in an ideal place. If it was downtown, it would be it would be much better received. So there's that. But, you know, I think, you know, Gary has to look at it on a macro sense. And he has to understand that these are 20-year, 25-year plans because – People don't become fans of hockey automatically because it's, it's just not – it hasn't been in their DNA. So you have to let generations go by before you get the hooks in them and they become adults and start bringing their kids. It's a long-term process. So to look at it on a year-to-year basis, yeah, it may not be successful, but on a 25- to 30-year basis, that's where the roots start coming in. And if they can get consistent ownership in those locations and the rinks can be in better places – it's going to make a big difference. The game is on NHL Network tonight at 9 o'clock. The CHL Top Prospect game, Shane Malloy, Sears XM Radio, joining us live from Vancouver. Shane, taking a look at the guys that are there, who is a guy that we should be taking a look at that we may not know anything about? Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's a big power forward that plays out of Cape Breton in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Six, two and a half, about 200 pounds. He's got 68 points in 46 games. This is a guy that not many people know about um, and is a, is a guy that I think is going to really open some eyes. And for the fans out there, this guy's going to be drafted high. So if you're a team who's in you know, the top 12, look to watch this guy. I think he's going to impress some people. He's big, he can skate, he can shoot, he can make plays all over the ice. I got a chance to watch him play a couple times when I was out in the Maritimes uh, about two or three weeks ago, and he's a pretty impressive overall player. There's a guy there that uh, from the Firebirds that were, you know, played with the uh, Plymouth Whalers last year, Will Bitten. I wanted to get your thoughts on Will Bitten. You know, I like Will Bitten's game. Uh, although he's small, the kids, you know, he's a smart player, moves the puck well, uses the give and go, has very good offensive hockey sense. And and the thing with his game, because he's not very big, you know, he's got to be smart with the puck and without the puck. In terms of, you know, without the puck, he's got to be on the right side of the puck all the time. He's got to take good angles. He's got to have an active stick. 
and he's got to be able to disrupt the play and be a real puck count. So I look to see if he can do that. You know, in this type of game, if you haven't played with your line mates at all, you know, it's a little bit chaotic. So this is where hockey sense comes out and adaptability comes out, whether it's hockey sense on the offensive side or defensive side. So I look for Will uh, to be able to really showcase that and see if he can come up uh, and make some plays. Talking to Shane Malloy from Sirius XM Radio. He's at the Prospects game tonight, an expert on uh, draft prospects. And Shane, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of of the goaltending game. And for me, it's been quite a long time since there's been a buzz about any type of a young goaltender. We had it a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, the kid's name eludes me uh, in the Dallas system. Uh, there was a lot of buzz about him. Um, but this year, you know, Carter Hart, Evan Fitzpatrick, uh, Zachary Salchenko, and Dylan Wells are in this game. Uh, what are you looking for from these guys tonight? And what's one of these four guys? I mean, Carter Hart uh, is the guy with the most upside here. But out of these four guys, what's one of these guys do you think uh, has the best chance to impress? Well, they all have a chance to impress. I mean, it's a chaotic game in front of them, so it's going to be, you know, a difficult situation for goaltenders. But, you know, look for Carter Hart. He's a guy that I think is, in my opinion, is the highest-rated goaltender. Um, however, look, I'm going to admit I am not a goaltending scout. I, I get help because it's so goaltending is so technical now that I couldn't tell you if a guy's doing, you know, a C-cut properly or a T-push properly or if his glove is too far out in front of him. So I always get help. But if, um, if you, like, have good rebound control and you track pucks well and that you can be – you know, adaptable in a situation and make, you know, uh, a save and sprawl if you have to. Uh, that's what I'm sort of looking for and, um, you know, how well they communicate with defensemen that they've never played with before. Good stuff. Go ahead, Brett. When you're at a game like this with all this talent, what are you checking out, Shane? What, what are you looking for with all this talent that is there tonight? Well, you know what I'm looking for is, uh, you know, normally at a game I'm isolating one player and I'm looking at a whole bunch of things, but because there's so many players to look at, you can just, you, you, can't, you can't get transfixed, so you're looking at a, a, the big picture. And I'm just looking for hockey sense on both sides of the ice and adaptability and smart, subtle plays that can be translated into the NHL, like how well you use a give and go. You make, make, maybe you make a nice little chip play off the boards to a player, a little chip pass. You know, how well a defenseman, you know, goes back and recovers the puck and looks up the ice and makes a smart first pass and not trying to just play within the game that you play and not try to do too much um, and get away from your game to try to impress. That's what primarily I'm looking for in this game tonight. How about Sean Day? Yeah, what, yep. what, six six three two thirty, big kid was granted exception uh, to, to to play as a fifteen year old, one of five players to do that. Um, talk about his game and, and and how it's progressing. Sure, I lost you guys a little bit. Uh, can you repeat that question for me? No, I was just saying, uh, Sean Day, one of five players to be granted exception, uh, a, you know, exceptional player status by Hockey Canada to play as a fifteen year old. Uh, six three two thirty, big kid. Talk about his how his play has progressed or hasn't progressed. Well, in all honesty, I don't think it really has progressed. Um, look, he's a fantastic skater. He's a big body. He can shoot the puck. Uh, my concern has been with him, and I don't like to, you know, throw sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old kids under the bus. 
But I have concerns about his work ethic. I have some concerns about his hockey sense translating into the NHL. So those are the things that, you know, you continue to look for. Look, he's got all kinds of talent. But whether you can pull that all together, the hockey sense matters. It's that, that ability to process information under duress. And if you can't do that as a talent pool compressor, you'll never play at the NHL level. And work ethic. Look, you look at a guy like Brennan Gallagher, not the most skilled guy, not the fastest guy, but he's got the greatest work ethic. And to me, work ethic matters. Is, is it just because he's so young and he's 15 years old? Shane? I think we lost Shane. Shane, are you there? Uh, we lost Shane, unfortunately. Yeah, he he fell out. <clears throat> Look, I, well, I, I I'll 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 take your question uh, unless you want to go get Shane again. I'll I'll give Shane a, another shot here. Um, okay. Uh, look, I I I think age has to do something to do with it. Being a fifteen year old away from home, um, I I think so, it's something you can grow out of when you get around the right people. Uh, your work ethic goes up. And it's like in any case, it's all about maturing. It's all about growing up, in my opinion. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with you. And Day isn't the first player we've seen this with. In all honesty, Brian, um, you know, when he got to the NHL level, uh, I'm talking about in sheer size. You remember all of the hype that surrounded Eric Lindros. Remember when he came in, um, you know, he didn't quite perform up to expectations. And look, when you get that exceptional draft status, only five players have ever gotten it. Guys like John Tavares, uh, the last player, Aaron Eckblad, Connor McDavid got it. So you got to be a pretty special hockey player to be granted that exception. Uh, so somewhere, some, you know, some, something about this kid is, uh, is impressive. And, and, you know, Look, he's a projected second rounder right now. He comes out here tonight and shows out and 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 plays uh, plays a solid game. And what is? We're calling right on the air. I love it. <laughs> Nothing like live radio. But uh, he shows out tonight, and you never know what could happen. He's projected to be a second uh, second round pick. Uh, he's the forties. He's in the forties ranked in terms of skaters uh, in in uh, North America. So we'll we'll see how Day uh, performs tonight. I think we have Hello, Shane, Shane Malloy are you back. back with us? Hey, sorry guys. Just uh, try to find a better area for you. Uh, no problem. It happens. Uh, my my question about Sean Day is: is is it just because he's so young? He's fifteen years old, and, and it's just a maturity thing about his work ethic. Well, no, I mean, now because he's no longer 15, this is something that's been going on for the last, you know, three years. So it's not anything new. It just it hasn't improved to the level that I personally think it needs to be, and that's where you improve. You improve on work ethic, and that's, you know, it's a red flag. Um, you can't get to the NHL without a high-level work ethic. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. So um, unless that improves, I can't see how, you know, he's going to make it if you know if other guys are just going to pass him by. No, I, I get it. I, I understand. It just, I, I guess sometimes in a situation you can get lackadaisical. 
But I don't know if if he was moved into a different situation, uh, more veteran guys around him. Uh, you know, sometimes it, it, the switch flips, and you know the work ethic starts coming in. I I mean, like you said, it's been three years. I, I guess he's kind of running out of time for this to happen. Well, I mean, he's been in the OHL for a number of years, so it's not it's not like he's a 15 year old kid anymore. You know, now he's like right. Maybe, you know. By the time he's drafted, he's 18. He's had three years at it. So if you, you know, you haven't figured it out in three years that you're going to have to really bust it to make it, doesn't matter how, like, it's whatever exceptional status you were given, you don't work hard. You just other guys are going to outwork you, and, you know. And talent's just not enough. It's not enough, you know. And that, uh, it, you know, either it's a wake up call for him. Um, or it's not, and you'll find yourself playing in the ECHL. That's true. We we've seen that plenty of times uh, with plenty of players coming through the NHL. Uh, Shane, I, I wanted to talk about. You're probably one of the smartest guys I know of prospects. I listen to your Uh-oh. show, and you can listen to Shane's show uh, Saturdays and Sunday mornings on SiriusXM Radio, nine o'clock a.m. I think it starts on Saturday. That's, That's correct. Right? That's correct. Yeah. Shane, you talk to a lot of uh, scouts in the NHL. You have a lot on your show. What? Who do you think has the deepest uh, minor league system in the NHL right now? Oh, um, hmm. Deepest? You know, Anaheim, Detroit. Um, those are probably two real big ones. Uh, only because I, th- I think they do a really good job of player development. And, you know, they're really patient with their kids and they let them percolate in the American Hockey League for a long period of time because they know that that's necessary if you want to come into the NHL and contribute. And the teams that push their kids in too early, you see that uh, for the majority of the time it doesn't work out very well. What team probably has the worst minor league system right now in the NHL? Well, I mean, necessarily worse, but um, you know, like I've, it's hard. It's hard to say. It's honestly, at, at this time, it's hard to say which one is at the bottom uh, because there's still a work in progress of the years halfway over. So I have, I end up evaluating those things at the end of the year. Uh, talking about uh, minor league systems. You, you've, you, how long have you done scouting for? Um, it's like my 15th year in the industry. So, it um, you know, every year you learn something new, and um, every game you learn something new, and that's, um, you know, you keep sort of plugging along, and you learn from your own mistakes. That's the uh, the biggest thing I learned. When, when looking at my, oh, real quick, when looking at a minor league system, how do you determine and – know what 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 system is deep and what team is more of a or minor league system is a work in progress well it, it's obviously the number of players that um you know are are number of players that are in that system that um have potential nhl talent and and then how those players are progressing in that minor league system so it's sort of twofold number of players quality of players and then are they developing at a reasonable pace. Now, every player develops 
at its own at its own pace. So sometimes you may think they're stagnant and they're actually not. And it's a it's a big massive leap from junior or college hockey into the American League and then the American League over. So um, those are the those are the main three things I look at. Uh, Shane, when you look at the international skaters and you look for, for some of us novices in terms of looking at the European League and the European skaters, obviously American Austin Matthews is over in Zurich. But when you look at the Swiss League, the Finns, the Swedes, the Russians, what are some of the differences between these leagues and, 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 and how does the NHL look at these leagues? Well, I mean, each, I think each scouting staff looks at the leagues a little bit differently, but, you know, the Swede, you know, Traditionally, the Swedes were really based on, you know, skill development, and they went into, and then they changed, and they went back to skill development. And, you know, the the Finns are a little bit more work ethic oriented in terms of playing a 200 foot game. And, uh, you know, the, I give credit to the Swiss and the Germans. Boy, their programs are getting better and better every year, and it's it's great for hockey to see that. And, you know, uh, the Russians can produce so many fantastic players and. Uh, certainly we've seen that them come over and produce some really highly skilled players as well. So each of them has their own little niche, uh, but, you know, they're trying to be as well-rounded as you possibly can. And um, I like it when those bottom teams that we've seen traditionally are moving up. So, you know, the Germans and the Swiss are making it far more competitive, and the Czechs look like they bounce back to have a pretty good program moving forward as well. Well, Shane, before we let you go, uh, who wins this game tonight? No idea. Honestly, I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> I don't know. Like, uh, you know, Don Cherry, Don Cherry's due to win. So, uh, <laughs> if it's Don's last game, I'll say Don's going to win this one. Uh, Team Orr's got uh, possibly the best goalie in the upcoming draft with Carter Hart, though. Uh, maybe. And we'll see what happens. Just run the goalie and hope for the best. <laughs> Shane, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We'll let you get to the game there. Shane Malloy from Cheers XM Radio Hockey Prospects. Shane, thank you so much. Anytime, gentlemen. Take care. Thank you. Shane Malloy. Alan? I lost Alan. Uh, uh, Shane Malloy, probably one of the, the smartest guys uh, for knowing prospects in the NHL. I, 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 uh, I muted my phone. I was going to ask him what the oh. hell happened to uh, – I don't know. Um, I, I was going to ask him what the hell happened to Team Canada and talking uh, you know, talking people off the ledge after they finished at the World Juniors because you as well as I know, Brian, that uh, there is calls for concern with the way that team performed. Well, the next time we'll, we'll – Get him back on when uh, it, it's not so noisy. But uh, yeah, we'll have to ask him. You know, I, 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 there's plenty I wanted to ask him. I wanted to get his thoughts on the World Juniors. Uh, he talked about Russia and how, how good Russia is. Uh, you know, and all the players coming over from Europe, and especially Sweden and, and other countries. You know, and the the quality of prospects coming over. But uh, we'll get him back on uh, another time, and uh, we'll have to ask him about Team Canada. Yeah, yep. It, you know, let me ask you a question. I, I got my new laptop, and I'm excited about it uh, because it's so fast, and it's it's great, and uh, it's a totally different world for me now. Um, have you ever done – have you ever tried this tweet deck thing? Yes. I, I'm, I am unbelievably enthralled with this. I 
chin-up, I may never, ever go back to Facebook. Well, welcome to 2016, bud. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, if you were working off the laptop and computer I was, you would you would have not discovered Tweet Deck until now either. Um, because my computer isn't my old computer or laptop wasn't capable of having three things up on the screen at the same time. <laughs> and I'm gonna tell you something. You I know, downloaded I, Windows ten. It's unbelievable. I I just downloaded it last night and it took me forever to start it back up and, and get it going today. But uh no, I uh I got Windows 10 up and going, and my computer seems to run a lot better and smoother now. And I've got a, another TV monitor hooked up to the laptop, so I've got two monitors up and going uh, every show. It's, it, it's so. amazing. I mean, it is. Uh, I mean, I feel like that I have just come into the age of technology, and it's just, this is. I'm excited. Tell me a little bit about our next guest. Uh, tell me a little bit about his background. Well, you you are older, so it, it takes a little bit uh, for you to catch up to everything. I hear you, smartass. <laughs> ah. Ah. Well, you know, I, I, I do what I can. Um, Bye, so our our next guest, he'll be coming on at eight thirty. Um, I'll have to go get him. But uh, Ken Cal. Uh, been announcing with the Red Wings uh, as long as I can remember. Uh, let's see. Um, he was hired by uh, Ann Arbor Radio Station to be a board operator for University of Michigan football games in January 1980. Became a weekend radio personality for the station. In 1984, the radio station has acquired the rights to U of M hockey. Cal was hired to be the play-by-play announcer. Uh, Cal had a Difficult time keeping up with the fast-paced action, but continue to improve. In 1995, Kim Cal switched over to the NHL, replacing the legendary Bruce Martin, who retired after 31 years as the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings. In the booth, he joined former NHLer Paul Woods, who had previously worked with Martin. Uh, in his second year, he called the Red Wings' first Stanley Cup victory in 42 years. He called three more Cups wins and a milestone goal of several Hall, Hall of Fame ice hockey players. Uh, and he subs for the Detroit Tigers broadcasting. Uh, Ken Cal has called numerous goals, numerous events in, in Red Wings history. Uh, I, I had great – I had the audio, but the audio was very bad when Steve Eiserman, 1996, double overtime against the St. Louis Blues against John Casey, shot it from the blue line and scored – uh, probably one of the best games I've ever seen in my life other than a Stanley Cup victory. But uh, I've I got a little story for Ken Cal uh, before we bring him on. i I got a, like a minute and a half clip uh, prior to bringing him on to introduce so him. He's, to, the, he's uh, the radio play, voice of the Red Wings, right? He is the voice of the Red Wings. The radio or TV, or does he do both? Radio, but he fills in like for Ken Daniels if Ken Daniels – who does TV for the Red Wings is sick or something, so he fills in for that. Play, uh, radio guys are great. We had uh, the gentleman on from the Edmonton oh. Oilers at the end of the year last year. Radio guys are just terrific because they're so good at uh, teeing everything up and putting it on a platter for you because that's they do it night in and night out for you know their, each other. And it is I can tell you having done play by play for the first time this year in my life. Um, it's not easy to do. It is tough. It's hard. 
And to be good at it is an entirely different thing. I am horrible at it. It's a learning experience. It's a growing experience. And uh, let me tell you the one thing that really makes these guys true professionals is their preparation. I've talked to, on several occasions, Gene Deckerhoff. And Gene Deckerhoff is the voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Florida State Seminoles. This is a guy that's pushing 70-some years old. And I'll give you just an example of what these guys do and how they go through it. Deckerhoff this year did a game against Clemson on a Saturday night. And the game ended, I think, around midnight. And the next day, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were playing in Indianapolis. So he flew back to Florida, slept, he said, from um, the plane to the house, and then changed, shower, hopped the plane, and got to Indianapolis 30 minutes before the game kicked off. In 30 years of broadcasting for the Buccaneers and the uh, Florida State Seminoles, and he does basketball too, Gene Deckerhoff has only missed one half of football, and that's because weather delayed the plane. It's amazing what these guys do and the dedication they have because the preparation alone is mind-boggling. Now, I know they have spotters and things like that in there with them, but you only rely on them so much. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for guys like Ken Cow, and I can't wait to talk to him. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun having him on uh, in about a half hour. So let's take a look. Last night ended the first half of the NHL season. Uh, we had four games going. Well, we, well, we had four games going on last night. Uh, Tampa Bay over Toronto, one nothing. Steve Stamkos with the lone goal in that game. Uh, Flyers over Washington in overtime, 4-3. Nashville beat Calgary 2-1. And Colorado over Los Angeles, 4-3. Your thoughts on the first half of the season? Dominating by several teams. Uh, Obviously, we talked about the Capitals already. But I think several teams uh, just dominated when you look at the first half. Several teams Several teams disappointed to me. I think uh, it's been an interesting first half, to say the least. When you look at the standings, you look at the top of the standings, and, uh, you know, in the Western Conference, it's the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, it's the Washington Capitals. And if anybody knows me, they know what the Chicago thing is, the whole Kelly Bundy thing. Uh, but I think when you look at the surprise team of the first half, got to be the Florida Panthers, Brian. has to be the Florida Panthers. They enter the, first, they enter the all-star break, 29 wins, 63 points. Um, they are five points over the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, and your Detroit Red Wings at the moment. Good, it's, it's good to be a hockey fan in Florida at the moment because the Tampa Bay Lightning are second in the Atlantic Division of the Eastern Conference. I like that. It's going to make for an exciting second half because I expect that both of these teams will make the playoffs. And how exciting could it be for Florida if these two teams could actually face one another in the playoffs, Brian? I think that would go a long way for hockey in the state of Florida and especially building that rivalry that the league has so, so wanted for these two organizations since the day they both stepped foot on an ice in Florida. And, of course, in the Western and the Metropolitan Division, it's all the Washington Capitals. They have a 15-point lead over the New York Rangers. and I mean, the, the Capitals have just dominated every which way but loose. I mean, 158 goals on the year. That's uh, uh, 56 goals scored on the year. I mean, that is unfreaking believable when you look at the rest of the league. That's 10 better than the Chicago Blackhawks. The Capitals are 10 points better than the Blackhawks, and the Blackhawks, 
just recently went on a 12-game winning streak. So if that tells you anything about what the Washington Capitals have done. And, of course, the Chicago Blackhawks, Brian, over in the Western Conference. You look at the Blackhawks and, well, Stan Bowman again as they're losing, what, four, five, six, seven players off of last season's Stanley Cup winning squad. Uh, once again on top in the Central Division and looking pretty damn good doing it, too. They lead the Dallas Stars by three points at the All-Star break. The Stars, though, um, they, they are struggling uh, as of late. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. The Stars are just 3-6-1 and one in their last 10. The All-Star break could not have come at a better time for uh, Jim Nill, general manager there's Dallas Stars, and, of course, St. Louis and Colorado. I think Colorado, to me, is a surprising team. I ex- firmly expected Colorado to be at the bottom of the Central Division. Um, and, and the team that I expected not the bottom of the Central Division that is is the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, very disappointing season so far for the Jets, in my opinion. Uh, really mediocre hockey entering the All-Star break at 4-5-1 in there. Last 10, Minnesota, of course, we've talked about them. And, again, what are the Wild going to do? How are the Wild? I don't know. I mean, we're, you know, we have to figure this thing out. Uh, and then over in the Pacific Division, Brian, the Los Angeles Kings, uh, they righted the ship after a horrendous start. Uh, but they play in the worst division in hockey, uh, in my opinion, um, in the Pacific Division of the Western Conference. Uh, they're on top of San Jose, Arizona, and Anaheim. Of course, Arizona has to be one of the surprise teams of uh, the entire National Hockey League this year. And then you look, uh, Calgary, a bit disappointing so far this season, just 45 points. Uh, Anaheim with a very, very slow start to the season. Our boy Felix Sicard's team that he covers. Uh, and then I think some of the things, Brian, that would surprise me the most is the fact that there are no Canadian hockey teams if the season were have, to have ended yesterday, I believe that aren't in, that wouldn't be in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That is uh, mind-numbing to me. 45 years since that last occurred. Uh, Alan, Dan Mount in the chat room said he picked the Caps to win it all. Yeah, I, I, I look, my Stanley Cup finals that I predicted before the season started was the Calgary Flames and the Washington Capitals, uh, and I had the Capitals winning the Stanley Cup. So, um I agree, and I, I just think that anything that they do from this point on is putting it would would be to prevent um, an injury from sinking the ship and adding if they can add a guy like a Dustin Bufflin, uh, because they certainly have guys on this team that could be trade bait. Galioff, um a guy like Galioff, uh would be a, a great guy to, to dangle out there if a team wants to get younger, like the Winnipeg Jets a little bit. Uh, they could get a guy like a Galliard or Galliard, however you say his last name. The Capitals certainly have uh, some pieces that they could move to bring in a top-notch, tough blue liner like a Dustin Bufflin. So it's going to be interesting. And I think that this is just one of these years, Brian, and, and, and yes, a lot of what I'm saying is because I'm a homer for the Washington Capitals. I just think that well, this is a year where, where, we, <laughs> where we see teams like your New England Patriots um, run rough shot over the league, and I think it continues into the Stanley Cup playoffs. I don't think – I know Kevin Allen sort of alluded to it last week or two weeks ago when we had him on the show, kind of doused the Capitals' flames a little bit with the fact that they're playing the Eastern Conference, but I don't think there's a team in the Western Conference that are better than the Washington Capitals. I just don't. I think he was trying to calm down. Your your head had swelled up, so – uh 
he was just trying to calm me down. <laughs> do, do you think that they're the best team in the NHL? Uh, right now, yes, I, I, I do. But uh, I, I think when you get into these playoffs, I think anything can happen. Uh, you know, a, a bad bounce, uh, a, a streak. Um, we talked to uh, Todd Lewis last week. He said he didn't think the Florida Panthers did not have enough to make a run for the Stanley Cup. Well, I, I kind of agree and kind of disagree. When you have a hot goalie and Roberto Luongo can get hot, uh, you can ride him. And we saw his, last year Ben Bishop kind of faltered in, in the finals for Tampa Bay. Hey, uh, towards hamstring. Well, but he, he, he faltered because he was hurt. But they kept right. running him out there, which I think was a, a bad move on Tampa Bay's part. But no, I agree. And they had a brick wall. And you look at the beginning of Chicago's run, they had Scott Darling in the, in the first round against Nashville. Who ended up taking Chicago to the cup? It was Corey Crawford. And Corey Crawford's yeah. having a remarkable season right now. I, I think any team who can have a hot oh, goalie. And look, <laughs> Peter Marzik has been playing stellar for the Detroit Red Wings. If it wasn't for Peter Marzik, uh, the Red Wings would probably not be in the playoff hunt right now. So you get any goalie who gets hot in the finals or in the playoffs, I think any team could have a chance. You know, look, here's the thing that does scare me about the Washington Capitals. And if they were to do a deal at the deadline, this is what I'd like to see them do. I'd like to see them go get a veteran goaltender. Because mm-hmm. Braden Holtby has already played 38 games this season. Okay. Um, that's 38 of the 49 games. I don't care how how you slice this pie. But he is on pace to play 76. Brian, game, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, he's well, he's on pace to play. You figure 49, 48. He's on pace to play 70 of the 82 games. 68, 70 of the 82 games. Now, I know Henrik Lundqvist has done this before. I know goaltenders have done it before. But if my memory serves me correctly, none of them have won a Stanley Cup. And we've seen Henrik Lundqvist falter in games, not entire series, but there's games that we've seen guys like Lundqvist who play all of these minutes falter, Brian. Where And you go back and you look in retrospect at a guy like uh, uh, Flower, uh, Flurry for the Pittsburgh Penguins, who does get time off, whether it's for injury or whatever during the course of the season, um, carry the Pittsburgh Penguins as he did. You know, I know the Penguins haven't gone far, but any success that the Penguins have had in the playoffs in the last two years has been a result of what Flurry's been able to do between the pipes. It scares me, Brian, uh, that Brayden Holpe plays as much as he does. And just 10, 12 days ago, came out of a game because he was dehydrated. So that's not going. This is not going to get any easier. In fact, the season's going to amp up. So I'd like to see, uh, you know, I'd like to see the Capitals go get a veteran goaltender. Uh, and even if they want to stick with Grabauer, that's fine. But I think if you got into the playoffs and something happened to Holtby, I wouldn't be comfortable with Grabauer in net. I think you go get yourself a veteran goalie, a guy that you could trust if you had to in the playoffs. And see, you know, see what happens. But I think the Capitals need to go get a veteran. 
I agree. You want to keep your starting goaltending fresh. I mean, if he, right, right now, as you're head down the stretch, I would only play him seven out of ten games. I agree. I, I agree. I don't maybe, care what he says. He's a fiend. Maybe sixty percent. All right, but maybe sixty, seventy percent of the games. I, 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 I think you've seen. And, and Dan Mount makes a good point in the chat room. Guys like Longfuss and Rene, they do run out of gas. We've yeah. seen it plenty of times. We've yeah. seen Lundqvist run out of gas in the finals against the Kings. I think he was spent yep. against the Kings. Yep, I do too. And, uh, you know, look, and we talked I'll, about – Real quick, real quick, I'll give you one more perfect example. Devin Dubnik last year for the Minnesota Wilds played all those games down – what did he play, 38 straight games? He got to the, the, the playoffs and, you know, crash and burn. Here's a team that scares the hell out of me if I'm the Washington Capitals, and it's for this very reason. You talked about the you talked about the Panthers. Yeah, LeBron would get hot, but what happens if Carey Price can come back, okay, uh, from an injury where he's been off nearly the entire year? Uh, by the time he gets in and gets 10, 15, 20 games maybe under his belt, by the time he's comfortably back in net again, Brian, and gets hot. And the and the Habs can pick up a goal scorer at the deadline. You don't need and, to put the biscuit in the yeah, but you it'll don't need to put the biscuit yeah. But you still, if they can just get there, I mean, we saw this Montreal Canadiens team dethrone or you know take out the Washington Capitals uh, six seven years ago when they won the President's Trophy. The Capitals had three one lead over them in the first round, and Yaroslav Halak shut the door on the rest of the way. And if Carey Price gets back and can get this team into the playoffs, um, I that scares me because, you know, a guy like Carey Price can, can get some games under his belt and get comfortable. They don't need to put the puck in the net a whole lot. Well, he was the MVP of the league for a reason last year. I know. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, you know, some side is a guy like Price has been out hurt, but he may be injured, but he's going to come back rested. I, I think because he I, ran out I of gas last year. I I honestly think it will be two Montreal Canadiens by then to get back into it. Yeah, you know we'll what? See. Let's 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 bring on a Montreal Canadiens expert right now, Felix Picard. Felix, what's up, bud? Hey, how's it going, guys? We talking Habs over here? Well, we are. We are. We are. We're, well, we're talking about. Well, we're we're, talk, we're talking about if if Carey Price can get back into the season within the next month, and Montreal can pick up some sort of goal scorer at the trade deadline. First of all, can the Habs get back into it, considering they are sitting three points out of the wild card spot right now? And two, would they have enough to make a run? Well, I definitely think they can get back in the race. I mean, just looking at how that Atlantic division has been so volatile this entire season, I think it's up for grabs. Anyone can get in. And as far as can they make a run once they're in, I think absolutely. We've seen it in past years with, like, the L.A. Kings, the year they won their first Stanley Cup. I don't even know if they were in the playoffs at this point in the season. So the way it works in the NHL is if you're in, you have a chance. But the way this Habs team is playing, like, We'll see. We'll see. They definitely have to figure some things out. They really want to make a go for it. Uh, my my whole point to this, Felix, being is that the, the, we're talking about the Capitals, and obviously, Braden Hope is your Vezina Trophy winner. 
um, at the at the NHL at the NHL All Star break. And I, my point is that if I if I'm the general manager of the Washington Capitals, I've got to go out and get a veteran goaltender because. I'm not comfortable with Philip Rebauer. You've got to sit Braden Holt. You've got to rest this guy a little bit coming down. So he's played 38 of their 49 games. I, you just That's just too much. And we saw Carey Price run out of steam last year, as Brian alluded to, and Daniel Mount in the chat room. Daniel Daniel Mount, by the way, from uh, the Hockey Writers as well, uh, covers the uh, Nashville Predators, I believe. Um, you look at these goaltenders, these great goaltenders, these Vezina Trophy winners, MVP goaltenders, and they play 70 games a year. And you know what? None of them has won a Stanley Cup. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Capitals would be wise to invest in someone maybe a little better than Philip Grubauer who can sort of hold the fort towards the end of the season. We've seen in the past that the Stanley Cup winning goaltenders are usually in that 60 to 65 game range. And, I think if the Capitals are smart and really want to make the most of this outstanding, phenomenal season they've had so far, they'd be wise to rest Braden Holby down the stretch. I, I was telling Alan that they should only play maybe 60-70% of the rest of the games of the season because uh, you don't want him getting burnt out going into the playoffs. And he's the type of goalie that wants to play every game, but – you know, you got to sit down and say, hey, look, man, we got to keep you fresh, you know, for the rest of the season. You look at the players, goaltenders who's played the most games, Corey Crawford's played 42, Schneider's played 42, Quick's 41, Lundquist's 41, Rainey's 41, Martin Jones is 40, Brady Holtby 39, Luongo 39, uh, Craig Anderson and Devin Dubnik also at 39. So those are your top ten goalies that have the most games played uh, in the NHL right now. But you look farther down the list, and, I mean, you look at uh, Peter Marzik played 33. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury played 35. Tuka Rask, 36. So there are some goalies who have not played every game uh, sitting there. And, and I like those kinds of, of goalies that are on the team that are not playing – like workhorse minutes, you know, but Marzik has played workhorse minutes late as of late because of, of how well he's played. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also one thing to keep in mind, the Washington Capitals are so good right now that they don't necessarily need Braden Holtby night in and night out. Like they, the way that team is, is constructed with their solid defense and their depth at forward, once they get more secure in the playoff position, I mean, it's already a foregone conclusion. They will make the playoffs. But I think once it's really cemented, they won't really have a reason to play him nearly as much. Although, you look at a guy like Holby, who his entire game revolves around his preparation and the mental aspect, I think it would be wise to, at least in maybe the last week or so this season, the last two weeks, to really give him all the games and get him back in the flow. Because I feel like if you take him out for those last two weeks or whatever it may be, that might, that might mess up his rhythm once the first round comes around. Guys, Brian, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm a guy that, uh, you know, I like this hokey stuff here. So I'm, I'm, I always beg Brian to let's hand out awards. So, but I think when you look to hand out awards here at the NHL All Star Break, gentlemen, I don't think we've ever had a season where, to me anyway, every every award at this point is cemented in stone, in my opinion. Your MVP, Hart Trophy winners, Patrick Kane. 
to me. Uh, your Vezina Trophy winner to me is Braden Hovey. Your Jack Adams winner to me is Gillard Gallant from the uh, Florida Panthers. Gillard Gallant. Uh, Gillard Gallant. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I think your your uh, your Rookie of the Year, no question. He sits in Detroit. Uh, Dylan Larkin. I mean, the guy's got 33 points in 48 games. He's your Rookie of the Year. Well, uh, real quick. Go ahead. On the rookie of the year, I, I think it's a two-horse race, honestly. I, I think Panarin from Chicago, uh, who leads all rookies in points, has had a phenomenal year. Uh, come on, Peter. Uh, he, Panarin has 17 goals, 29 assists, 46 points. Larkin uh, with 33. Jack Eichel has 34 points. I don't know. You can throw Eichel in there as well. I think it's it's those three kids right there, Panarin, Eichel, and Larkin. But I, I love the, the, what Larkin, and we'll talk to Ken Kell about it, uh, why can, why Dylan Larkin, a 19-year-old, has made the Red Wings, is the Red Wings' only all-star, uh, you know, what makes him different than any other Red Wings rookie as of late, and what separates him from other rookies in the NHL? Uh, I, I I think this is a really good crop of rookies in the NHL. I it's been a while since in the NHL of rookies, uh, so you know, you, it, I from what I've he- heard on TV uh, on NHL Network and online and on Twitter uh, with all the writers and, and stuff, it's a split between Larkin and Panarin. Uh, I'm yeah, going to give it to. I'm going to give it to I'm giving it to Larkin because of what I believe he's meant to the the Red Wings this year. I, I mean, he has stepped up in a big way. I'm sorry, go ahead, Felix. Oh no, sorry. Um, yeah, I was going to say too. One thing to keep in mind with Panarin and Larkin is not only have they been two of the best rookies, probably the two best rookies, but they've been two of the best players in the entire players, National Hockey League, and that's that's really something that is noteworthy because. In past years, we've had Rookie of the Year races where, okay, they're, they're the best amongst the rookies, but that's not always saying much. This year, Panarin and Larkin have been lights out. I mean, one thing I really admire about Dylan Larkin's game and also Panarin's is the fearlessness by which they play. I'm big on, you know, stats and stuff, but really you watch these guys play, and they're not afraid of anyone. They go at no, notable defensemen putting on crazy stick handling moves, and that's something that is just really elevating the on-ice product in the game of hockey as a whole. And then, guys, you look at the blue line, and, uh, you know, look, Eric Carlson, obviously, he's in the top five in scoring in, in the National Hockey League as a defenseman, so the first thought is to give it to him. But, um, you know, I don't know that he's as clear-cut winner as I think the rest of these guys are because I think you once again have to look Drew Daly's way. I, I think you need to look past the stats. The goal, the point that I, I think uh, you take a guy like Aaron Eckblad, who's a plus 19, but doesn't play, you know, just barely plays four, over 20 minutes. Um, a guy like, uh, uh, looking down the list here, uh, like you said, Drew Doughty. Uh, Drew Doughty's a, a workhorse. Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson was all defensemen in time of ice with 28, 28 minutes, 51 seconds. Ryan Suter, 28-27. Drew Doughty, 28-01. That's actually down for him from last year. Uh, But uh, I don't know. I I, I think you have to look past the points 
on the defense and, and, and his all-around game. And, look, Eric Carlson is a great offensive player, but, you know, there's a guy like John Klingberg who who's a plus 11 who's got 40 points. He's third in NHL defenseman. Uh, a guy like him, I think, could get uh, some votes his way from the north. Yeah, Carlson's a really interesting case because he's so good offensively that we almost overlook what he does on the defensive end. On the defensive end, he's just fine. And sometimes that's a little harder to quantify, especially because he's so good offensively. But I think right now my pick would go to Eric Carlson because not only has he been so dominant with the puck on his stick, but you have to think, look at it this way. When he has the puck and he's putting up points, the other team doesn't have it, the other team can't attack. That's also a form of defending in and of itself. I mean, where would the Ottawa Senators be without Eric Carlson? They'd be a lottery team. I mean, they, they might be anyway, right? But I think Eric Carlson's value is just so astronomical for the Ottawa Senators that that's something to consider when you're having these kind of conversations. And then, uh, guys, I'm going to give a Shelky player award to a guy that's not even playing in the All-Star game because the best team in the National Hockey League doesn't have an award winner other than Braden Holtby at this point. I'm going to give my Selkie to Nicholas Backstrom uh, at this point mm. of the season. And I think Nicholas Backstrom he is a guy that consistently is in the tops of uh, top percentage of guys. He, he, I'll put it to you this way. He's one of the best face-off guys in all of hockey. He is the best two-way player on the Washington Capitals. The guy's second on the team in scoring. And he is perhaps the – Nicholas Backstrom – unbelievably has never played in an all-star game. Really? That is, uh, yeah, that's a freaking crime. I mean, wow. it is a crime that Faxon's never been in an all-star game because he's consistently one of the best players in the National Hockey League. People can laugh at me, but I'm going to give my selfie to Nick Backstrom. I mean, that's fair. Like, how do we – I mean, that's a very interesting point you bring up because how do we even decide the, the selfie trophy? I mean, people look at face-off statistics, different, like, matchup and time on ice, and – why not give it to a guy who's an excellent playmaker as well as potentially very good defensively? Well, you know, look, how do we give the Selkie out? Well, we we figure out where Patrice Bergeron is. That's how it's given out. I mean, look, and Bergeron has been deserving of winning that award every time he's won it. But I, I just think that in a year like this, if you watch Nick Backstrom play this game, um, he is absolutely – and this is a guy that returned from an injury probably a month early. I mean, he had, he had hip surgery. You know, this is a guy that returned from an injury. He's tough as nails. He is uh, – you know what? He get, he'll get in the corners. He'll dig. He's tough as hell in front of the net. He's great in a defensive zone. For a guy like Nick – look, you don't want to give him the selfie. I'm cool with that. But how has this guy never been in an all-star game? And that's insane. So that's my I am selfie. going to uh, go. I am going to go with Anzi Kovatar with my donkey mm, choice. That's a good one. Yeah, that's definitely not a bad pick. <laughs> really, really good face-off percentage. Uh, and for forwards, he's top three uh, for ice time. He's a plus sixteen. He's got forty-two points. Uh, so that would be my guy for selfie. Yeah, to me, it's definitely between Bergeron and Kovatar. Uh, they're they're definitely the best players on their teams. Kopitar might be sharing that with Dowdy, but Bergeron is the heart and soul of the Boston Bruins, without a doubt. 
no Walter Baxter, huh, guys? <laughs> well, it's just, it's just hard. It's I'm kidding. Hard I know. I, I, I was surprising. It's hard to decide this one. It's hard to decide this one. I mean, we're kind of going with the, the generally accepted players, but it, it's just like, are we just awarding it to forwards who don't score as much but do other things? Like, it's, it's hard to decide. It's very gray. Right. No, I agree with you. And then I guess uh, we did the coach of the year, rookie of the year. We did uh, we did them all. We knocked them all out. Well, I, I'd like to come back to the coach of the year. Here's my, my Anaheim plug. Um, uh Look, I know I know how Allen feels about Bruce Boudreau, and warrantedly so given his Washington tenure. But hear me out. The way the Anaheim Ducks have come back from a horrible start to the season to now competing for a playoff spot while having completely revamped their style of play, if that team makes the playoffs, I think Bruce Boudreau has to be at least in the conversation, if not nominated for the Jack Adams, because he has completely turned around the way this team plays. They've gone from a high four-check aggressive team to completely neutral zone trap team. And they're, they're basically locking teams down. They're winning scoring like two, two goals a game. Mark Giordano noted a couple weeks ago when he was playing after the, the game against the Ducks that that was the most insane neutral zone trap he'd ever seen. So I think that we have to give a nod here to, to the man, Bruce Boudreaux. Well, I don't have a problem with that. The only thing I would argue is this, is that, why did that team get off to the piss poor start that it did? Ah, and that's a great, great question. And I can answer that question for you because I've I've done a little, little research. And the Ducks had a horrible change to their system to begin the season. They were playing a very passive, defensive gap, basically allowing forwards to enter their zone at will. And I think that that was in part a response to the way they got burned by Chicago's speed in the Western Conference Finals. So to answer your question, it was Boudreaux's fault. But he fixed his own mistake as the season wore on. He did that with the Capitals uh, the year before he got <laughs> fired. He was a strictly offensive coach. At, 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 at I cannot remember. I believe it was sometime in the middle of November. He turned it to a defensive squad, and they ended up being the best defensive team in the history of the Washington Capitals. And when you go back and look at some of the Capitals teams from the 80s with Scott Stevens and the Kevin Hatchers, um, on the blue lines and, and some of the goaltending they did have back then, that's a, that was a that was a pretty a pretty good feat uh, for what he did. So Boudreaux definitely one of the better coaches in the National Hockey League at making changes with his team on the fly. So I don't argue with that. I, and look, I like Bruce. Gabby is a good guy. He's fun to talk to. I've had yes. an opportunity to talk to Gabby on a couple of occasions when he was with the Washington Capitals. Bruce Boudreaux is a hell of a nice guy. And you know what? He's just like you and I. Yeah, he's a great guy. I've had a chance yeah. to talk to him, too. And he gives you the time of day as a reporter, that's for sure. Yep, no question. All right, gentlemen, all right, all right. We, have our, we have our next guest uh, waiting. But before I bring on our next guest, uh, I wanted to play this clip before we bring on the play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings, Ken Kell. The 2008 Stanley Cup Finals, Game 6, we're at Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh, and wouldn't you know it, I come up with laryngitis. I walked to the rink, and it was about eight blocks away, and there was a Catholic church. I remember walking up the stairs to the Catholic church. I knelt down, and I'm kind of whispering, and I said, look, I know you don't see me in here as much as you'd like, but if there's any way that maybe a silver lining can come out of this, you know, please show me the way. Ken Daniels, 
uh, was called in from Detroit when they knew I couldn't go and, and do the game. 45 seconds left, I think there was a face-off. And Ken took his headset off, and I was standing next to Paul, behind him, and he says, hey, you're doing the last 15 seconds. And I look at him and I go, no, I'm not. He goes, yes, you are. I go, no, I'm not. I can't talk. He says, yes, you are. He says, put your headset on, suck it up, and do it. All right. Put the headset on, and he throws it over to me, and I had enough voice left just to call the final 15 seconds. 15 seconds to go. <laughs> That's who tripped. And can Cal bring us home for the Stanley Cup with 10 seconds left? Gonchar puts it over the line. Lidstrom fires it out to center right. Five seconds to go. Gonchar to Malkin over the Detroit line. Pushes it forward. Backhand for Hillhouse to the save. And the rebound slips right through the goal ball. Time will run out. And the Detroit Red Wings are the 2008 Stanley Cup champions. One of my most favorite moments in NHL history. That's Ken awesome. Cal with the call. Ken Cal with the call as the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup. So I am so happy to bring on tonight the play-by-play voice for radio for the Red Wings, Ken Cal. Ken, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, pleasure to be with you guys. How's everything? Uh, it's good. It's good. Uh, we're at the All-Star break, and uh, uh, with me being a huge Red Wings fan, I so happy to have you on and excited to uh, talk some Red Wings hockey with you. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's great to be on and uh, great to be on your program. And, boy, we're all excited here in Detroit because uh, we've got Dylan Larkin, a young 19-year-old star that's going to be participating in the All-Star game, plus Peter Morazic, who's had a sensational year. And things are going pretty good at the All-Star break for the Wings. Ken, I- I'm glad you started off with Dylan Larkin. 19 years old, uh, just the poise he has on the rink, on the ice, uh, just the way he plays the game. What makes him so different than any other rookie since Steve Eiserman, uh to play this game for the Detroit Red Wings? Well, I think he was coached well. That's first and foremost. I think, um, you know, he was ready to play in the National Hockey League. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of experience playing in different tournaments and uh, playing college hockey and, um, you know, just just was ready to go when when, uh, camp started and and made the team. But I I think he's got all the tools to be a fantastic player, and we've seen those tools now in the first uh, half of the season. He can really skate like the wind. Um, he's a smart player. He he can pass the puck. He's not afraid to shoot, and he can score. And uh, he's got all the tools. I know uh, defensively, he's probably got some things to work on. But other than that, I mean, he's been dynamite for Detroit. And didn't matter what line Jeff Flash will put him on, he always seems to be the best player out there. And uh, from times this year, he was the best player on the ice. So, yeah, we're all excited here in Detroit. And you're right. I think the last teenager to to have this type of impact was Steve Eisenman. And, and and that's crazy to say because you know that's like you were talking 1984, 1985. That's almost 20 years um, since a player like Steve Eisenman. Well, we had Sergei Fedorov here in Detroit uh, who came over but, from Russia. But uh, other than that, that's it, crazy. 20 years since a, a Red Wing rookie has made an impact like Dylan Arkin is right now for the Detroit Red Wings. 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, like I said, uh, I think if you look at the Red Wings over the years, um, Ken Holland likes to uh, make sure that when he gets younger players, he wants them overripe before they actually make the team. And really, when you think about the Red Wings over the years, they are a veteran-laden team, and, and young players just didn't get the opportunity because they couldn't win spots, and those spots were all by veteran players. But the the, the tide is turning a little bit here in Detroit. Uh, the Red Wings, I think, are a little younger than they were maybe two, three years ago. And uh, the, the Red Wings have really drafted well. And right now, even in Grand Rapids, as we speak, there could be four or five players that are ready to play in the National Hockey League. So uh, they gave Larkin an opportunity to make the team. He won the job. And, you know, he's been the best performer on many occasions so far this season. What? What's your thoughts on the transition from Mike Babcock to Jeff Blashill this year? And do you see any major changes with the Red Wings from that switchover? Uh, you know, I think it's been a smooth transition. And I think that the Red Wings kind of had a feeling that if Mike Babcock were to leave the team and go somewhere else, that they already had the guy that they wanted uh, already within the organization, and that guy being Jeff Blashill. And, I give Jeff Blaschel a lot of credit because Mike Babcock brought him in as an assistant coach. He learned a lot here in his one year, and he wanted to uh, be a head coach one day in the National Hockey League, so he kind of took a step down, a step back, went down to Grand Rapids, and try, you know, learned to be a bench boss there, and wouldn't you know it, he won a Calder Cup there. So I think it was a smooth transaction, and you know, I, I think every effort was made to, 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 to keep Mike Babcock, but you know, Mike decided to go to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and as a result, Jeff Blaschel gets the opportunity here in Detroit, and I think he's done a really good job. And I think what really benefits Jeff Blaschel is the fact that, for the most part, almost every player he's coached, either at the major league level, the National Hockey League level, or coached him in Grand Rapids. So, you know, he, he, he's really, really uh, well identified with the players. He knows each and every player just because of the fact that he coached them in the past. The Red Wings sit third in the Atlantic Division with 58 points, tied with Tampa Bay. Uh, what do the Red Wings have to do in the second half of the season to separate themselves from the lower bunch that are fighting for that wild card spot, fighting for that third spot, to put themselves concrete into a playoff position? Well, I, I think it's going to be tough just because of the fact that besides the Washington Capitals in the East, everybody else I think is is all right there. And um you just cannot go on extended losing streaks, especially losing in regulation, and and make the playoffs. Everybody's close. Everybody's bunched up, and there's not a lot of separation. And really, to be honest with you, I don't think there's going to be a lot of separation. I think it's going to go down to the wire, and you're going to have you know seven, eight, nine teams battling to try and make the playoffs in the last week of the season. That's just the way it's been. For Detroit, they've been involved in a lot of one-goal hockey games. Uh, they haven't been able to score as much as I think they'd like to score. That's an area that I think they're, 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 they need to improve upon in the second half of the season. But on the other hand, defensively, I think they played well against uh, all the teams in the National Hockey League. They rarely get blown out. Uh, every goal, every game's close, usually a one-goal game. And, uh, of course, they're getting solid goalkeeping from Peter Mrazek, who at times this year has been their most valuable player. We're talking to Ken Cal, play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings in, in Canada. This is Alan Slaughter-Zinski here. My first question yep. for you is, uh, as I move on in my broadcasting career, Ken, should I just be Alan Zlot? 
<laughs> my last sorry, name I is uh, I I said my last name is Slaughter Zinsky. What I mean, oh, what, okay. should, should I short should I shorten my last name to uh, Alan Zlot? <laughs> You can you can be whoever you want to be. It doesn't matter. That's, uh, you can shorten it. You can keep it the same, but just have fun with it. That's all. I, I, I have to tell you, it's an honor to talk to you because uh, I'm I'm you know I'm a Polish American, and I see that you're in the uh, Polish American Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Uh, congratulations on that honor. And uh, my question for you is: uh, I broadcast my first hockey game. It was a college mm-hmm. hockey game this past Sunday between Florida Tech Panthers and the Florida Gators. Yes, they do play uh, college hockey in the South. And it was probably uh, the most difficult thing I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, what are some pointers? I can't honestly, I know this sounds like a novice question, but I'm curious. What are some pointers that you could give? Because you made the switch to hockey and replaced the legend in doing so. What are some pointers you could give in calling a hockey game? Well, let me tell you something. I first started calling my first hockey in uh, 1984, and I was at the University of Michigan, right? I was doing Michigan hockey. I was there for 11 years. And uh, I was hired to do the games, and I never did a broadcast before. So so after the first five games, I told my program director, I said, maybe you should get somebody else because I don't know any of the players, and I don't know how to call a game. And, and uh, he said, basically, you know, just keep working at it. You'll get better as the team gets better. So don't feel bad because we're all in that predicament when we start out. Uh, I tell you, I, I keep my tape, my first tape I ever have, I play it to, at parties and people laugh all over the place. So there's always uh, room for improvement. And as far as uh, pointers go, just try to do as many hockey games as you can. And when you're not doing a live hockey game, you know, watch one on television, know the players uh, on both sides, and just, just try to get a cadence going and, and, and just try to work at it that way. But I tell a lot of broadcasting students that want to get into hockey play-by-play that uh, you just got to keep practicing that at, at your craft and, and record every game every time you do a play-by-play uh, broadcast record it really look at it objectively and just continue to improve and the more you do the better off you're going to be we're talking to Ken Cal, play-by-play voice for the Detroit Red Wings, and I want to correct something I said. I said uh, Ken was a uh, is a board member for the Polish American Broadcast Sports, not broadcast, it's Polish American Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, Ken, when you uh, came in, you replaced a legend uh, in the booth, and then had an opportunity to call the Detroit Red Wings first Stanley Cup in 40 plus years, and then three more after that. Uh, talk about the transition uh, from coming from one sport to another, and, and just you know how it was for you uh, broadcasting an original six team, and then the success that they had. Well, that's a good question. Uh, of course, you're talking about Bruce Martin, who was a longtime radio and television play-by-play voice for many, many years here in Detroit and a uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster and my idol growing up. When I was trying to learn to be a play-by-play announcer, I always listened to, to Bruce, and he he's the guy eventually that really taught me just by listening to him uh, call a game, and I thought he was one of the greatest of all time. And uh, I had the opportunity when I came in to invite him back into the booth for game four against Philadelphia in 1997. He actually called the second period and Darren McCarty's cup-winning goal, which was a terrific mm. call. So I had an opportunity to work with my idol, and that's always been really a, a, a very special moment in my National Hockey League career. But, um, you know, uh, they say timing's everything, guys, and I just happened to be in there at the right time. And my first season with the Wings, they won 62 games, set a, a National Hockey League record or tied a National Hockey League record. 
and then the next two years they won the Stanley Cup. I've been very fortunate to to call five Stanley Cup finals, four Stanley Cup championships, a couple of outdoor games, winter classics. So, you know, in 21 years I've really uh, seen a lot. But, again, it's not because of me. It's because of the product on the ice, that's for sure. We're talking to Ken Cal, play-by-play voice of the Detroit Red Wings. And, and Ken, the Detroit Red Wings, 24 straight years uh, into the Stanley Cup playoffs. As we approach the trade deadline, obviously you mentioned that the Washington Capitals were the best team in the East, and anything can happen in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But what is it that the Detroit Red Wings need going forward to maybe put them over the hump a little bit to be solid contenders in the East? Uh, you know, that's a real good question. And uh, I think in years gone by, uh, Ken Holland has has made some acquisitions near or at the trade deadline that would kind of, you know, bolster the team and and try to get them into that you know that playoff mode so that they could win a couple of rounds. Unfortunately, they've had some bad luck. Last year they had Eric Cole and he got injured, and Marek Zidlitsky he he came in on the blue line and uh, I think he was concussed at one point uh, there in the again in the series I believe against Tampa Bay. But the Red Wings haven't had much success making it out of the first round. But I, I think this year, I think when I mentioned before, they, they really need some scoring. I think maybe that's something that they're going to take a look at before the trade deadline is maybe perhaps get somebody out there that can that can put the puck in the net, uh, a guy that's uh, more of a shooter than a passer, and somebody that could team up with guys like a Larkin or a Zetterberg or a, a Pavel Datsuk and, and really put the puck in the net. So that's one area, and they're always looking for defensemen. And, um, you know, they, they picked up Shedlitsky, as I mentioned, last year, so it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, they, they pick up a defenseman at the trade deadline. My final question, Ken, is uh, Brian and I, uh, we have an ongoing debate, and I'm going to ask your opinion on it. We were talking about Corey Crawford uh, last week in terms of whether or not we believe that if maybe he won another cup, he would be a, a, a Hall of Fame goaltender. Uh, in your opinion, is Chris Osgood a Hall of Fame goalie? I think so. I, I think he is. You know, I follow the majority of his career and actually call a lot of his games, and, and this is the reason why. I mean, you, you can get the argument that said, well, he played on a lot of good teams, but like all goaltenders who, who, who have been in the Hall of Fame played with great teams. Ken Dryden played with some terrific Montreal teams, you know, and, and um, you know, a guy that I think should be in that's not in that didn't play with a lot of, uh, you know, Stanley Cup championship teams is Curtis Joseph. He's another guy that I think should be in. Yeah. As far as Chris Osgood goes, the way I look at it is there are certain numbers, whether you're a goal scorer or a goaltender, if you reach those numbers, you should automatically be in. And and that's 400 wins. Chris Osgood has 401 career wins, and only 11 goaltenders, I, I believe, that's ever played the game have 400 wins. And so for that reason alone, think about it. Out of all the goaltenders ever played goal in the National oh. Hockey League, there's only been 11 that have hit 400 wins. One of them's Chris Osgood. So for that factor alone... I just think that he deserves to be in. It's kind of like in baseball. You hit 500 home runs, you should be in the Hall of Fame. If you're a goal scorer in the NHL and you hit 500 goals, you should be in the Hall of Fame. So I think Chris Osgood had a stellar career. And, again, 401 wins, that's nothing to sneeze about. I think that was uh, he's had a great career and he should be in. Right? Yeah, I, I agree with him. I, I, I've said it you know, many a times on the show here that Chris Osgood definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, uh, and, and just for the fact he had 400 wins, multiple Stanley Cups, uh, I agree with Ken on that. Uh, Ken, well, the other thing a too couple about... questions. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just I was just going to say the other thing too about Chris Osgood and people fail to, to 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 pick this up. I mean, he he left Detroit, went to the Islanders, and had really good success with the Islanders. He went to St. Louis, had good success with the the St. Louis Blues as well. And I believe he was in the playoffs with the New York Islanders, with the playoffs with the Blues. So everywhere he's gone, he's been a winner, and he's led his team. So with that said, too, along with the 401 career victories, you know, those are, you know, he should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yeah, he he won at other places where he played at, New York, St. Louis, uh, got him into the playoffs as well. So uh, I agree with you on that. Good points, Ken. Um, yep. A couple of questions from our chat room. Any worries about Cronwall? Uh, he's a cu- out a couple more weeks, but does it seem uh, to you that he's taken a step back uh, this year or over the last few years? Well, I, I know there's been talk because uh, his plus minus hasn't been as good as it was, but I, I look at Nick Cronwall. He plays against the top forward players in, a, in on, a, on every single night. That's hard to do. I mean, we were kind of spoiled here in Detroit with Nicholas Lidstrom, and that was his job. He played against all the great players, not just on one night, but every game for 82 games in the National Hockey League plus playoffs. So that's difficult to do. And I I think why Nick struggled a little bit early this season uh, is because he had a knee problem. It was bothering him, and he wasn't at 100%. So he figured that he might as well get it taken care of, uh, you know, get, get, get get back to 100% where he was before, and um, I think that alone will will make him, uh, you know, a better player, and and you know he'll be better. It's it's hard. It really is hard to play this game when you're banged up. And I know he played through pain a lot this year, so got the knee taken care of, and hopefully he'll be back uh, real soon, probably within the next two two and a half weeks. Does it seem like to you, since Nicholas Lindstrom retired from the Red Wings, that Cromwell has taken on a different role? Uh, as a player now that Lindstrom's gone, Cronwell's not that heavy hitter anymore like he used to be. I mean, he will dish out a hit or two every once in a while, but he's just not that Cronwall that will slam somebody. He's, he, he seems to play more responsible and not as reckless as he used to be, and he doesn't throw around his body like he used to. Well, I think he learned a lesson in Game 6 of the playoffs last year where he was suspended for Game 7, and they could have really used him for that game. And, um, you know, he he lined up one of those uh, Tampa Bay Lightning players, got the old caboose on him, and, you know, got got up pretty high and uh, was given a one-game suspension. So I think he's learned that he's more valuable on the ice than, than, than not playing at all. So I think because of that, that's one of the reasons why he's kind of, you know, shied away from the real big hit. He still does it on occasion, but uh, you're not going to see it like you did before. And, again, I I think it was just one of those things where he felt bad that he wasn't able to play in Game 7 when they really needed him. And, you know, he was our number one, number two defenseman. And, you know, even though it was a one nothing game, uh, I think he felt that he could have been a difference maker there. And uh, so I think that's just one of the reasons why you don't see him going out after the big hit anymore. The big question, and I get asked this all the time, do do you think the Red Wings will move Jimmy Howard at the deadline? Well, you know, I, I don't think so. But, I, again, uh, it's a possibility now with Peter Mrazek, who is now the number one goaltender here in Detroit. But, again, if you're going to make a trade at the trade deadline and the Red Wings are at the cap, 
in order to get a solid player, you're going to have to give up some salary. And I guess if you look at one position where the Red Wings could probably give up a player and uh, get somebody back of equal value and at the same price range, you look at Jimmy Howard, he's making, what, $5.5 million, something like that, maybe $6 million. You could get a pretty good goal scorer for that if one's available or maybe get two players out of it. So that's always a possibility. I think the Red Wings still need Jimmy Howard. I think they need both goaltenders down the road to uh, – you know, to make it to the playoffs and actually go deep into the playoffs. And I think Jimmy Howard, uh, even though he struggled a little bit lately, I don't think he's used to the to the fact that he's always been able to play, uh, even when he's had bad games because he's the number one guy and he's going to play a majority of the game. And sometimes it's difficult for goaltenders who have a bad game and then now you're not going to play for another six, seven games because the other guy's going to play more. So it's a little bit different for him right now. So he's working more with Jim Bedard, our goaltending coach, and, and trying to shore up his game. And, again, I think they need him. Alan Felix? Hey, Ken. Felix Sicardi. I just had a question for you. As yeah. a, you you've been a play-by-play man for the last 20 years. Who's been the, the the player that you've enjoyed calling the most? Because you've been privy to some fantastic players over the years, Steve Eiserman, Nicholas from Howell Datsuk team, a few. Who's been the most fun for you to describe their games? Oh wow, that's a that's a real good question because we've had so many great players here in Detroit. But um, you know, I, I mean, Eiserman was really good. I had a chance to watch him play. Uh, I, I really can't give you one protect, particular player. But, um, you know, there were, there were guys on other teams, too, that were fun to watch, like Joe Sackick. He was good. Peter Forsberg. But, you know, I mean, I, I see the Red Wings on a regular basis. And, and uh, you know, Eiserman was always fun to watch because he was a difference maker in a game. Um, you know, he could score the big-time goal. And, and, of course, you look at a group of guys that I had fun with, and, and that was uh, the Russian Five. When Scotty Bowman put those guys together, it was a whole different brand of hockey, hockey that I really never saw before except an international play when the Red Army team used to play in the Olympics or in World Cup competition. So, you know, that was a lot of fun to watch, and, and how talented were those guys. So I've been pretty fortunate over the years just to see a lot of great players come through Detroit and, um, you know, each and every one of those players was different. Sergei Fedorov obviously was a really good player, and, you know, he could bring fans out of the seats, and Brendan Shanahan was tough as nails, and he could score from all over the ice. Um, you know, we mentioned Chris Osgood, Mike Vernon that first year, so there's been a lot of great players here in Detroit, and now we've got some good ones too, like I mentioned, in Peter Morazic and Dylan Larkin. And just to follow up on that, who was the most difficult to commentate over the years? Who's the one that was the most difficult to follow as the as the play unfolded? Uh yeah, I don't I don't really understand what you mean. I mean like like uh as far as their play or personality like I, or, I, or what? I guess like a I guess like a Pavel Datsuk who just does certain things that you've never seen before. Who's the one that had you searching for words the most? Uh probably the guy you just mentioned, Pavel Datsuk, just because of the fact <laughs> I call him the Barry I call him the Barry Sanders on ice because Barry Sanders was the same way when he played football for the Lions. Is just when you think you had him cornered, somehow he found a way out and made a big play. Same thing with Pavel Datsuk. And, uh, you know, he slowed down a little bit now that he's up in age, but, you know, a few years back, I mean, he was unbelievable as far as what he could do with the stick and how he could stick handle through everybody, fake a goaltender out, and, and finish a play. 
uh, he can still do it with the best of them. And I think you look at other teams and how they play Pavel Datsuk, they, they really respect him. And uh, because if, if you go after him, he, he, he can find a way to make you look really bad out on the ice after making a move on you. So I would say yeah, I'd have to say Pavel Datsuk. Ken, one of my most favorite games I, I, I was able to hear you call was the double overtime game in 1996 when Steve Eisenman scored in, in double overtime against the St. Louis Blues in the playoffs. Other than the Stanley Cup finals, what has been one of your favorite games that you were able to call? Uh, I think it was that March game, March 27th, whatever it was, against uh, the Avalanche. Yes. When uh, all heck broke loose over at Joe Louis Arena and you know, it, it's funny how it all started with Larry Onhoff and and uh, Peter Forsberg, and then the next thing you know, all heck's going on on the ice. And you know, to me, that that was the game that really put the Red Wings over the top. For for many many years, they couldn't get over the hump. But I think that game um, with McCarty going after Lemieux and then McCarty scoring the game winner in overtime, that really put the Red Wings over the over the hump. And they never looked back after that. And that kind of changed things around for the whole organization, gave them confidence. And as a result, they went on to win four more Stanley Cups. So that was a real exciting game. And as you mentioned, all the Stanley Cup games were really good, are really good. I've been fortunate to call, I don't know, 250 playoff games and you know four Stanley Cup championships and each one of those championships have been different and a lot of fun broadcasting an amazing career you've had over the last 20 years and I hope for many more years to hear you on the radio calling Detroit Red Wings games Tim Cal thank you so much for joining us tonight it was an honor and pleasure to have you on our show well, thanks, guys. Uh, enjoy the night, and thanks for having me on. I always appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Ken. Yep. The play-by-play voice of Detroit Radio, Ken Cal. I could have talked to him forever, but he didn't have forever. He only had uh, – <laughs> I ran him over just a little bit more than I should have, but uh, special thanks to Ken Cal for joining us uh, here tonight. Ah, that was awesome. Sorry I didn't get to your question, Rob, your last question in the chat room. Uh, he wanted to know, in his opinion, was Fedorov properly appreciated by the Detroit fans? I had just seen the question as I looked over, so hopefully we'll have him on again and we'll talk to him about that, about Fedorov here in Detroit. But great stuff. 20-year career, able to call tons of games, tons of moments, four Stanley Cups, uh, I, I, I was going to ask him about Federal's five-goal performance against the Washington Capitals, but I'll do that some other time. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> so, great stuff. Um, what? Alan? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I missed that last part. I heard the five-goal thing. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Alan, you wanted to get into the All-Star game. Yeah, I'm excited for this. Uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun, this three-on-three format. Uh, What are you guys expecting to see? Uh, And will John Scott embarrass himself? (laughs) You know what? John Scott will be the leading goal scorer. You just watch. They're going to purposefully purposefully feed him the puck every chance they get, and he's going to have, like, five goals. You just watch. I think he should drop the gloves. That's what he was. He's a goon. That's what he. That's what he does in this game. And I think he needs to beat the hell out of somebody. 
I would love that. That would be maybe he'd beat up Patrick Kane. Can he? Oh no, he's in. Is he, <laughs> oh yeah, he he's in the Pacific, so he could. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, uh, the NHL put out an interesting uh, little factoid thing today. Of course, you got the skills competition coming up too this weekend. The uh, fastest skater, the NHL Breakaway Challenge, the NHL Accuracy Shooting. By the way. Um, how many people listening to the show and on this have have a hockey goal and have hooked paper plates up to their nets in their lives? Uh, the NHL Gatorade Skills Challenge Relay, the hardest shot, which is a fan favorite. I'll never forget the year I went to the All-Star Game in Philadelphia and Al Iafrady banked 104 on the gun, I think it was. And then the NHL Discover Shootout, of course. Uh, last year, your NHL game, uh, Team Tays, 17, Team, uh, what does it matter, 12, 29 goals scored in that game last year. In your last two All-Star games, gentlemen, in just your last two All-Star games, the winning team has combined to score 29 goals, while the losing team has scored 21 goals. It, it's just, uh, you know, look, and, and and if you're going to have that many goals in a game, the three-on-three format, I think, was the best way to go for the National Hockey League. Just to recap real quick for everybody, you look at the Atlantic Division, you've got Bergeron, Yager, Kamarov, Larkin, O'Reilly, Samkos, Ekblad, Carlson, Subban, Bishop, and Luongo. Um and then in the central, you've got Ben Duchesne, Kane, Neil, Sagan, Tarasenko, Bufflin, Yossi, uh, Weber, Dubnik, and Lene. Over in the Metropolitan, you've got Backstrom, Giroux, Kuznetsov, Malkin, Saad, Tavares, Falk, Tang, McDonough, Holpe, and Schneider. And then in the Pacific Division, you've got uh, Johnny Goudreau, Taylor Hall, Joe Pavelski, Corey Perry, John Scott. That's just weird to say. Daniel Sedin, <laughs> Brent Burns, Drew Doughty, Mark Giordano, John Gibson, Jonathan Quick. Uh, selected but unable to participate is Alex Ovechkin and Jonathan Taze. I believe Evgeny Kuznetsov replaced Ovechkin. Who replaced Taze? Neil? Ooh. Yeah, James Neal. Yeah. James Neal, that's right. And gentlemen, um, who wins this thing? Good question. Solid question, there, Alan. <laughs> I, Here's I the trivia that. question of the night. And no peeking. No peeking. Which right. NHL team has the most representatives on this year's All Star teams? The Blackhawks. Ooh. Nope. Yeah, probably. Uh, you know what? Wait, I should have known. Get, I should have known. It's the It's probably the Washington Capitals. No, the answer so is the, the answer. The answer is no. It is not. Ovechkin's out. Wow. So it's not. Uh, it's not the Blackhawks. It's not the Capitals. No, it's not the. Okay, nope. can we get a? Can we get a number? What's the number? I, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Just stay close to home, gentlemen. Just stay close to home. <laughs> See, I was going to guess the Ducks. But, but that's, that's not it. Because they have Gibson and Perry. It's not. It's the, but it's not the Ducks. Uh, is it, oh, is it the is it the Kings? No, no. I didn't say your home. I just said uh, stay close to home. Oh, the man. Florida Panthers. No, the Nashville Predators. What? Uh, well, oh. good. I mean, good for them. Good for them. Ooh. So Yossi <laughs> Weber, Yossi Weber, Neil, and then. Is that it? Pecorine. Pecorine. Rene. Oh, so 
I mean, I think that's how it should be, right? The home team gets sure, the home team sure. Gets the Capitals, the Capitals are players. second with three, and then of course you can divide it up uh, the rest of the way between two and, and one. And for those of you that have access to media.nhl.com, uh, and you are a you know a guy that likes to uh, you know do some writing out there, I suggest you log on. And uh, print yourself out, maybe not the entire 94-page guide, but they do have the NHL 2016 All-Star Media uh, Interactive Media Guide on there. That's a lot of fun. You can check out a lot of All-Star statistics on there. I know I'm excited for this this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, the NHL has hit a home run here with this John Scott thing. As much of a disaster as it started out to be, a PR disaster has quieted down a little bit this week, and uh, obviously it'll, it'll ramp up again this weekend. But I'm excited to see how this plays out. I don't think that the guys on the ice are going to allow uh, him to be embarrassed. I agree with you, Felix. I don't know that they'll feed him the puck 100 times to put it in the net, but I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if this guy walked out um, uh, with a little bit of money in his pocket. I'm going yeah, to be fun. division, by the way. Wait, wait, so how does it work? How does, this, how does the format work? Is it because there's an actual game and then there's the two division games? Is it like a tournament thing? Well, it's funny you should say that because I will tell you <laughs> how this thing is going to play out. Um, here's how it works the 2016 Honda NHL All Star Game is, of course, a three game tournament played in the three on three format. The tournament features four teams, okay? Each team, you know that, each game in the tournament will be 20 minutes in length. Teams will change into the 10-minute mark of each game. Games that are, of course, tied after 20 minutes will be decided by a shootout. The Atlantic will face the Met, and the Central will face the Pacific Division in the two semifinal games. The winners of each semifinal game will play each other in the final to determine the overall tournament champion. Um, ah, man, so that's, that's, awesome. that's pretty much that. The 2016 Honda Skills All-Star Competition, of course, returns to a matchup between the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, with the winning conference earning the right to select when its semifinal game will be played, first or second. Interesting. I like this. I like this a lot. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And, and kudos yeah. to the National Hockey League. Uh, because I think they were just as sick of the damn cannons last year as Brian and I were trying to do a show. It was, I mean, uh, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you what. Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, well, Sunday night, Brian and I are going to do an, N- an NFL show. But mm. before before that show, I'm going to replay last year's show uh, on FanSpeak for people to listen to. Uh, I only I'll, I'll edit it down to 25 minutes because that's all you really need to hear. I mean, every three minutes there was a cannon going off. Oh uh, my goodness! That was terrible. That was terrible. Horrible. Yeah, it was. It was terrible. Well, guys, uh, I don't know if you'll all be back next week, but uh, in case you're not, Felix, before we go, who you got in the Super Bowl? I was just about to ask you that. Because you're the expert, but my non-expert pick is the Carolina Panthers. That's a good expert pick, non-expert pick. <laughs> I try, I try. <laughs> uh, Brian, who, who you got? In the Broncos. You were taking the Broncos, Brian? Going... No, 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 oh. no! I'm taking who would, the who would actually believe in that team? Yeah. Make it a sweep, Alan. Make it a sweep. Oh, of course. Brock, uh, uh, 
Panthers oh, will oh. own them by the half, just like they did uh, Arizona and Seattle. Let me ask you guys this real fast, and I just can't get off because my wife's having a jewelry show, so if it seems like I'm stalling to get the hell out of here, I am. Let me ask you guys this. If Peyton Manning, <laughs> if Peyton Manning wins this football game, is it the greatest ever exit in the history of sports? The greatest what? Exit. Because he's not coming back. He, you know, you, of course, oh, you heard the clip. You know what? From he, can, he, can go, he can go stage left and, be, and stay gone. Well, well, I'm saying, if he wins this game, though, any, I know Ray Lewis won his final game before he retired. But defensive players don't get glitz and glamour like offensive players do. And, you know, Ray Lewis is considered to be the best defensive player in this generation of football. But if Peyton Manning wins this game, is this the greatest exit in the history of sports? Wayne Gretzky had a pretty good one with the Rangers, all, you know, not a Stanley Cup one. But, I mean, if you stop and think about some of the best exits in the history of sports, you know, guys that ride off John Elway, I mean, you know, that was pretty damn good to win a Super Bowl before he, he won. And how fittingly would it be for Peyton Manning to win one for the Broncos? Um, you know, the Broncos have the karma, so to speak, in this game in that you have the irony between Elway and uh, uh, Manning. And then, of course, you've got the whole Pat Bowen situation. Um, you know, we, we win this for Pat Bowen, the, the owner of the Denver Broncos, who's, you know, it's just this unfortunate situation. But, you know, look, uh, you know, this is a Carolina Panthers team that, that's just too dominant, I think. But if Manning wins this game, to me, it's the greatest exit in sports history. Well, I was going to say, I, I think it'd be a great exit. Obviously, winning a championship in your last game is great, but my favorite is still Raymond Bork being handed the Stanley Cup by Joe Sackick. That's probably the coolest moment, one of the coolest moments I've ever seen, for sure. Brian? Scotty Bowman. You, you know what? And i got to ask you this, Brian. I'm going to ask you this on Sunday night, but I'm going to ask you this now. Bill Belichick's decision not to uh, kick that field goal was six minutes ago. Was it the worst coaching decision of his career? Perhaps, yeah. I was, I was, I was confused why you don't take the points on the road. I, I mean, your yeah. your defense was able to stifle and stop them for most of the game. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was I was shocked by that. I was I was shocked you didn't take the points on the road. I was just. And then you have to go for two at the end. Uh, but, man, I, that end was great. What a finish. Uh, it didn't go the way I yeah. wanted it to. But, I mean, Brady leading the charge, getting the ball to Gronk on both plays, the fourth down play. Man, I was man, I was so excited. And then yeah, these, these some fun claps. It, it was the best championship game ever played, in my opinion, since they started playing these games in 1970. I know you had – New Orleans and I think it was Minnesota, or yeah, New Orleans and Minnesota went to overtime a couple of years ago and Garrett Hartley hit the forty six yarder to win it for the Saints and send into the Super Bowl and I and, and I know we've seen Sent far into um, retirement. Yeah, but you know, to me this was the two best quarterbacks of our generation and they didn't disappoint. I mean Manning threw a couple of nice touchdowns earlier. That one in the corner to Owen Daniels was just perfect. Um but I, I thought this was the best championship game ever played. And, and how fittingly that the game – I don't care what Bill Belichick says. You're right, Brian. It shocked me. 
uh, unconventional to go for that. You know, I know they were two for ten on third downs and having a hard time moving the ball. But you're right. You're on the road. And I don't care whether it's a playoff game, a Super Bowl, a championship game, a regular season game. It's take the points on the road. And, you know, unbelievable. Now I'll ask you this, too. Does the competition committee change the extra point back? This year we had the most extra points missed since 1995. 92% of extra points uh, were made this year compared to 99.1% last year. This was only a rule put into effect for one season. Will the competition committee change this back? No. No. I hope not. I hope they don't because this was fun. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And one thing I'd like to note about that, the way that the Patriots lost, I thought it was – I love the irony of the Patriots basically losing on a coaching decision when they kind of won on a coaching decision in the last Super Bowl, thanks to Pete Carroll, and I I love the – the full circle effect. That's a good point, Felix. That's a really good point. Well, the ladies are starting to clear it out, guys. So if we, if you guys want to end, we can end. We had to make up for four minutes. We had four minutes of silent, dead-ass air when we came uh, on. I don't know what the hell happened. It, it, it was fixed, and we were ready to go. So uh, uh, we get an all-star break. We'll be, we do. We get an all-star <laughs> break. Um. Well, games start back up, what, the first or second? Monday the first, so we'll be back next Thursday for a show. Yep. We'll be back. In fact, the Red Wings will be down in Florida when they come back. They play Tampa Bay and the Florida Panthers back-to-back games. Ooh, divisional games. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. The Florida teams lead that Atlantic Division one and two, and uh, uh, I I think – I think that the Florida Panthers, um, can, I, I think they have enough to hang on and win that division. Hey, we're in the home stretch, boys. Trade deadline, playoff race. It's about to get really fun. Yes, it is. Trade deadline, yes, the, end is. Of, the end of February, I believe February 29th. So. That's when it is. We'll see. And that's the day we all take off work. Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I Let's see what day is that on the 29th. Oh, it's a Monday. Yeah, I may have to take that day. We should we should do a show, Brian. Um, I think so. Uh, we should do. Well, what we should do we should do our show because um, we can we can replay it later too. We should do our show. Take off work that day and do our show. Trade deadline is at four o'clock. Our show should go from three to five. Done. Yes. Done and Agreed. done. Day off. Boom. Put in the book. Felix, yep. you taking the day right. off too? I'm going to be there because it's right. I'll be glued to my phone and my computer the entire day anyway, if I can. So <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's a date. Monday afternoon, I'm... 3 to 5. Um, so, But uh, Alan and I will be back, what, Sunday night for a show, 6 o'clock? Yep, Sunday night, yep. So The NFL right, standard. Take us out, my friend. Well, yeah, and look, you got the NFL Standard this Sunday at 6 o'clock. And then next Sunday, be sure to catch the NFL Standard and Simon Football in a Super Bowl mashup show. Thomas Duck, Brian Yates, Mike, I can't remember Mike's last name, and myself. Uh, we will all be doing a two-hour. Mike. Um, Who's Mike? Mike is Tom's uh, co-host. Oh, all right. <laughs> Yes, I'm like, and I uh, we, will all, we will. Yes, 
Yeah, right, right. We will do a Super Bowl mashup show on Super Bowl Sunday. Brian will be calling in from Las Vegas, Nevada. I'll be as there's no better. If you're not going to be at the Super Bowl, better be in Vegas, Brian. And he is. You excited for that trip, man? I am. I haven't been to Vegas since '07. I'm excited to be back. You know, I almost feel like that. I know you would want. I feel. I feel like I let you down. I know you want to be at the NHL All-Star game, but I think when all things are done, trip to Vegas is actually going to turn out better for you. So you can thank me for screwing <laughs> up. All I, I mean, I, you know, it is what it is. Well, we can thank, you know, Miss Buckley, but I know, I know. Well, listen, you can follow all of us on Twitter. Get your pen and paper handy because there's a couple of them here I'm going to give you. You can follow Brian on Twitter at FanSpeedGates, and you can also follow Brian on Twitter at NHL on underscore the underscore ice. Follow Felix Sicard at Felix Sicard. Is that right, Felix? Yeah, Felix underscore Sicard. To you guys in these damn underscores. Felix <laughs> underscore Sicard. You can follow myself at Zlot Sports and at NHL on the ice Zlot. Please check out our Facebook pages if you will. Uh, we've got two. We've got one you can like and one you can participate in. NHL on the Ice podcast and NHL on the Ice group page. Brian and I and Felix will be back next Thursday night, same bat time, same bat place. Uh, we'll get some good guests lined up for you as we did tonight. We would like to thank Ken Cal for coming on tonight, play-by-play voice of uh, the Detroit Red Wings. And, uh, Brian, what is Shane's last name? Malloy. Shane Malloy from Shane Malloy from uh, NHL Prospects, uh, Sirius XM Radio. He's out in Vancouver. Turn on the NHL Network and check out the Prospects game right now. So for Brian Yates, one, Felix Sicard, one more, one more special thanks. Uh, you can catch the replay of the show on the Inscriber Digital Magazine Radio Network uh, coming up at ten o'clock. And special thanks for Nick Ficarelli for having our show on there. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Nick, and that's a that's a good network to get a lot of great shows on there. Check check <clears throat> check them out. I'm sorry, I was choking. Check them out on uh, the Digital Inscriber Network. So for Brian Yates, Felix Sigard, I'm Alan Slaughterzinski. Until next Thursday, have a great hockey week, everybody. Go Caps, Penn Suns. Go John Scott. <laughs> oh, wings. Johnson's first shot is handled here by Wick. Now a bouncing puck recovered by McKinnon. Up high, a save. Rebound, Jasper Gillen. And somehow Wick spinning around made the awkward-looking but very effective stop. Dave, Nathan McKinnon and Matt Duchesne come off the ice, and they say, this is the best save we've ever seen. Here's Eric Johnson gaining the line. Jonathan Quick spits it out. Alex Martinez tries to move it. Duchesne gets in the lane. Nathan McKinnon shoots the puck. Jerome McKinley bats it out of the air. And then you watch Jonathan Quick. He returns a favor. So it's like ping pong. One paddle to the...